And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. Welcome to this episode of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Uh, I came across some extremely interesting Russian interviews of Putin. Now, you got to dig deep for these, all right? You got to dig really deep, and and I, I, I they're not ready for prime time only because I don't know Russian. I, I want to authenticate what was being said, the English subtitles, but the essence of what I'm seeing here is the verification that Hillary Clinton specifically Hillary and Obama are behind and, and we, we know this but they are uh, the architects of, of destruction in the Middle East and, and as you look at as you look at the bigger picture here and, and we are I like to think of us as bigger picture people uh, what, what I'm seeing uh, in Putin has stated to to the Russians, which is not getting out to the West, is hey, Obama has just essentially destroyed the Middle East. Look what he did in Libya. How'd that work out? Look what he did in Egypt to some extent. Tunisia. And he was talking with a reporter. There are a series of, of uh, maybe four Russian interviews that were conducted mid 2016 and, and a couple back in 2015 but pretty much 2016 uh, subsequent to, to uh, Hillary being uh, taking her leave from from the uh, uh, from the State Department but the the way Putin was talking about geopolitics folks it was with a sense that she would be the commander in chief and how bad that would be for peace geopolitics what he was saying and and I'll just summarize it for you is if Hillary gets in she will continue the policy of Obama and her her policy in the Middle East the Huma Abedin Saudi Arabia Qatar and even Israel is on the side of the same side to destabilize the rest of the remaining countries including Iran now the reason I bring this up yeah Jordan and all of us and and don't forget about that one memo that uh, Wesley uh, Clark was talking about back in the uh, early 2000s so that's seven countries in five years and and that goes back to the PNAC right uh, right doctrine Yes, yes. So when I'm looking at this and, and when, when I'm seeing all of this, um, you're seeing this intentional and, and absolutely intentional diversion by Hillary Clinton and by the Clinton campaign and even by the Republicans or conservatives, establishment uh, Republican conservatives, to deflect the actual issues away from the larger agenda here, and I hope I'm making sense on this because this is so to me this is critical, folks. Uh, 
it's not about the crass words of of Donald Trump. It's not about it's not even about the bad disposition of Hillary Clinton. Um, it's not about Bill Clinton's dalliances. This is about truth and all of the marvels. This is about the the ultimate power thrust in the world. I mean, that's what this is about. This is not about some trivial matter here and and some narcissistic desire to to be the commander-in-chief, whether it's a male or female. This is not about making history uh, with the first woman president. This is about the takeover, the complete subjugation of the West under this new world order. And and you folks, you know this. It's almost like, well, we know this, but but to hear, uh, to, to to find it's it's for example, and in, in those of you who watch television crime dramas, or some listeners I know are police officers and detectives listen to this program, and they work uh, they work cases. When you're working a case, and, and you're, com- you're you're compiling elements of you're compiling evidence. Now, evidence is not the same as proof. Okay, you're looking at for evidence, and you're finding evidence, pieces of evidence, and you're bagging the evidence, or you're documenting the evidence, however you handle it, depending on the type of evidence, to find the truth and to establish the motive, means, opportunity of the of the of the of the crime in your case. And the suspects, and all of the suspects. Well, this is what we're doing. And an extremely important element is what we have not seen in the West, what has not been disclosed in the West. And, and those are the, the, um, the, uh, I, I, I kind of want to say, uh, censored from the West these interviews by Putin uh, to listen to him. Now, now, Putin has his own objectives. Trust me when I say this. He's got his own objectives. But what Putin is saying in in these interviews is something you have not heard in the West. Now, do you think that if we weren't in a all-encompassing election cycle with the news, and when I say all-encompassing, I mean... I mean, who can't wait till this election's over? It seems like every single news story oh, yeah. or whatever's going on is just about the election, about the candidates, about their campaigns. Do you think if the election wasn't going on, we would see these interviews? Or do you think it would remain the same? Uh, <coughs> no. They would sweep no. them under the rug or do what they could to avoid them? Uh, no, I, I, I don't think that you would see these regardless of the time, only because, to me... Uh, the, these reveal an element of truth, and so they're yeah. not going to let uh, the people in the West, especially Americans, see a side of Putin that they could relate to. They are only going to, you know, yeah, prop up, sure. you know, war crime allegations and and uh, things that will make him and his nation look look bad. Right. They don't want to humanize right. him and, and turn him into, you know. A normal person in the eyes of Americans. Yeah, yes, and this also kind of uh, goes along with the. Um, and again, I'm, I'm speaking from an investigative 
angle here. I'm looking at this as an investigator trying to assemble all of the facts. When when you have Hillary Clinton blaming Russia or suggesting that Russia is uh, responsible for the hacks, for computer hacks, or blaming Russia or Russian proxies or Russian actors for uh, affecting the elections... That's not what 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 I'm seeing on this on on the other end. Russia is saying to their people, Putin saying to their people, "Wait a minute, there's a lot of hanky panky going on over in the United States, and they're not telling the truth." And, and this, of course, is being censored by the American media. Now, I know how this sounds. It sounds as if I'm an apologist for Vladimir Putin. We know, look. We know Putin's uh, FSB, KGB. That is, um, we 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 understand. I mean, I, I'm not making any apologies for Putin. But and as as I was watching this, and I remember when when and again, I'm going to appeal to the police officers, detectives out there, the investigators, or <coughs> even fans of detective shows. There are times when you interview people, whether it's in Rikers, at Rikers or, or Attica or in prison, you know they've done bad things. You know they're not good people. You know, I mean, it, it's simple. Now, think about the information that you get from those people, all right? How much weight do you put in their statements? Well, you've got to balance the, the, their statements with independent corroboration and proof or, or, or evidence, other evidence. You can't take their statement alone. You've got to take their statement and check it out against other proof or other evidence. I'm sorry. I, I want to make sure that I'm using the correct terminology here. Whether it be a smoking, well, not a smoking, whether it be a, a, a murder weapon or a, a letter that was written or an eyewitness testimony, you've got to have corroborative evidence to support what the, this person who's in prison, for example, or maybe a, a, a previous convict, you know, that, that has paid his or her dues and, and they're out walking around. So you've got to balance this all out, is, is what I'm saying. You cannot take anything at face value. You've got to have, uh, you've got to have, uh, proof or, or you've got to prove, uh, through other means, the statements being made by the subject. So what I'm saying to you is this. Putin's got his own agenda. Clinton and the globalists have their own agenda. And even Trump has got his own agenda. And they're all different, I, I do suspect. The lie, the lies that are being uh, stated by Hillary Clinton, are so severe or so or so deep that it is World War Three. Um, I mean, it's on the level of, of of starting a world war. Her involvement with uranium one, the the uranium um, mines. Her involvement in the. Uh, when I say her, I'll, I'll mention Obama as well. Don't forget Fast and Furious. The, the remember Fast and Furious. Uh, remember all of these little or not so little incidents or agendas or conspiracy activities. All of these are tied together. 
the uh, Arab Spring as well, what they're doing over in, in the Middle East. All of these are tied together. They all have certain elements that overlap with one another. Putin, he's got his own agenda with, with Crimea and, of course, Ukraine and, and other areas, but that's a more defensive posture which I won't get into right now. But I guess I said all that to say this. The, the news that you're seeing, the headlines you're seeing, the, the, the five-minute news bites, the sound bites, the, the hit-and-run headlines, it's all, to me, a distraction away from the deeper, more nefarious plot agenda. And if we get caught up in, the, in, in those little sound bites... We're going to be missing a lot of a lot of big news or big important events. Not that those aren't important by themselves or collectively, I should say, but by themselves or not. But but they do indicate a, a course of conduct that's important. I think so, about a regular news cycle, minus the elections, and how much you know you see, regardless of what uh, <laughs> website you go to or cable news station you watch you will have um, important news going on domestically and internationally. Right. And how much are we missing? I mean, there are so many stories that, you know, get knocked down to the bottom of pages <coughs> or, or don't even make the news cycle, especially on cable TV uh, networks. The Internet's a little bit better with that. But just because of the election, uh, and if there wasn't an election, some of these things would be top stories, and you know. But but they they yes yes that's correct. They are they've been woven into the fabric of the election, however, and rightfully so, but not to the extent that they need to be. When Trump, in my view, when Trump said uh, that he would have an independent uh, Department of Justice inquiry uh, against uh, Hillary Clinton. Man, yes, you need that. We need that. I, I don't, I, and it, it, it just blows my mind, Joe, that there's this disconnect among people that, uh, they're not seeing the criminality of, of the Clinton criminal cabal. I, I or they at, don't care. Or, or yeah, perhaps, I mean, or they don't care. How can you not see it? If you are voting for a candidate, let's say, um, <coughs> I would hope people have done some research about the candidate that they're voting for. Well, uh, Glenn Beck must have done research, and you know I've had dialogue <laughs> with Glenn Beck before, and and I'm going to tell I'm going to tell you right uh, now, okay. you know, I, I, folks, look, and he, and he's advocating um, voting not for Trump. I, I guess that's a vote for Hillary, right? Or what he did says, he say uh, exactly? There was two things that he said. He said that uh, electing Hillary Clinton is the moral ethical choice compared to being uh, voting for Trump. And he also said that he on, has on considered... On what is that true? <laughs> I don't know. And especially after all the exposing of Hillary Clinton that he's done, it, it seems like he's voting against Trump more than wanting to vote for Hillary. Uh, he he has some kind of personal hatred towards Trump uh, from his body language, the way he talks about <coughs> it. Because the, there's a, a short video clip, and I'm not sure if the whole interview had aired yet, but he said, I had considered voting for Hillary, where he told the interviewer he has not considered voting for Trump. And he, you know, he says Trump's an arrogant, evil man. And 
Hillary is more of a choice to him. And then he goes on to talk about how, you know, um, we can at least block her actions and, and laws she tries to pass with the Republican House and no, Senate. No, we can't. And, yeah, he goes through this whole thing. And I don't know. I mean, it, it's one thing when he was taking a stand and deciding not to vote for Trump or Clinton, you know, saying vote your conscience and not endorsing either candidate. But to step into that, to that realm of, uh, Man, siding with Hillary Clinton. Oh, I mean, and we're seeing a lot of mainstream Republicans go this Mar- way. Yeah, well, From the uh, Bush family true. to Paul Ryan to uh, all these people coming out the Never Trump movement. But, but where's the Never Hillary movement among the so-called moral and ethical, self-righteous people? Where where's the Never Hillary? Where where are the people condemning Hillary about her stance? Uh, and about her activities with respect to uh, abortion, with respect to, um, I mean, you, you just, I mean, pick a subject. It's so rife with, uh, with, with uh, controversy and, and whatever. But this, this, what you, what you just said here, I got an email from Karen. I want to say, Karen, thank you so much. Um, she writes about just what we're talking about here. She, she writes this. I wanted to let you know I'm a listener, and now my husband will tune in when I bring your show to him over lunch together. Oh, isn't that great, Karen? I'm glad you and your husband have lunch together. I really am. It, it's it's great. And thanks for bringing us along, too. Uh, she, she writes this. She said, you know, words do matter. And, yes, I'm sickened knowing this about Trump, referencing the, the gutter talk. But let's get real, she writes. This goes on with women also behind the scenes. It just hasn't been caught on tape yet. And you, as a woman out there listening, might say, oh, no, I never talk like that. But trust me, there are women who do. I've got surveillance audio that proves it, you know, proves that from years past. Um, with regard to Trump, is he crude? Yes, but I'm sick and tired of the, quote, smooth talkers from politics. Uh, so crude it is. I think God is humbling Trump here in order to make him worthy. Now, she writes this, Flies landing on Hillary is never a good sign, as it happened twice in this debate. also happened to Barry a few times also. And then she references Exodus 8, uh, chapter 8, verse 21. Yeah, I I get that. Uh, but but uh, she she finishes out the email by saying, Hillary's words scare me more than Trump's, as his do not destroy our nation. Actions speak louder than words, and Hillary's actions have proven to be deadly, and this is true, where Trump's actions have proven to put people back to work, money in their pockets, and dignity in having a job. There is no dignity with Hillary supporting a rapist. No dignity in lying either. Karen, thank you so much. Enjoy your lunches with your husband and thanks for writing in and we have some numerous uh, emails like this we're saying yeah trump's what trump said not good not but not what good. what hillary did much different and what trump said obviously is i mean um speaks to the kind of person he was maybe still is um yeah i don't know yeah but when you look at the, I guess, other options, if you would consider these options as voting third party, uh, or, you know, Gary Johnson, who doesn't know uh, what international Which, conflicts. Yeah. 
to uh, you know what a Lepo is. Jill Stein from the Green Party, and I, I just um, I, I think the lines are drawn. Uh, those who are choosing to vote for Hillary Clinton, as we talked about at the very beginning, are either choosing to be ignorant or are accepting the evil. And those who are choosing to vote for Trump, I mean, there's this um, when when you're not in the election cycle, when we look back on former elections and. I mean, the last president to be impeached was who? Bill Clinton. Right. Um, all impeached. these scandals from, from Hillary Clinton. But not removed from e- office. Right. But still. Yes. It, the, the pattern of behavior was Nixon impeached? to the no. American people. All right. Um, kind of like Obama. You want to keep, you want, you like your doctor? You can keep your doctor. And, uh, and don't forget Hillary Clinton, Hillary Care back in, ni- in the early 90s, which she proposed. Uh, I mean, how many, the hundreds of thousands of dollars did she waste in in attempting to develop this monster of a, of a healthcare system as first lady and, and she had an office in the west wing folks re, yeah. where are our memories about this well that's what i want to i want to you know from hillary clinton's just what she has said that she's going to do with guns, abortions, oh, the yeah. things that, you know, her, her mentors and heroes from Saul Alinsky to Margaret Sanger, um, and, and all the lies that she has told and the way that she feels about regular people and uh, no, no, freedom okay, about versus that. regular people that we know that just to be oh, clear, I'm not referencing the, well, let's reference it because there's, there a, there's a, a WikiLeak, uh, yeah, there's a WikiLeak email that, People are, uh, you know, the phrase everyday Americans or everyday Americans, she hates them both, I would say. Don't know which one the email's referring to. Some people think it's the phrase. Others think it's everyday Americans. I, I think, I think it's both. It but, probably uh, is. But, but regardless. You know, and, and we have Trump, um, who isn't a politician, has political ties. We can take him, if we take him at his word at face value, um, he is trying to make America better. If there's a hidden agenda behind this, if he is some kind of plant or if this is a distraction, then, you know, the joke's on uh, America regardless. But one thing that gets me is with all Hillary Clinton's lies and all the destruction she's caused and Bill Clinton have caused in their political lives, one thing that really just makes me so angry is the amount of media collusion and protection that Hillary Clinton and the favoritism that's being shown to Hillary Clinton. Well, sure. Absolutely. And whether it's being done on purpose for, for people who are paying attention to pull their hair out and bang their head on the wall, I'm not sure. But uh, the, well, the, uh, the vote November 8th can't come fast enough because it is just, it makes you just want to vomit um, having to listen to any, you know, just about any uh, pundit from Fox News to CNN, MSNBC, ABC, all of them. And, and even the emails, <laughs> the, the Podesta emails show how in bed the Hillary Clinton campaign is with the media, how oh, yeah. far they're willing oh, yeah. to go to protect her, her reputation, uh, whether it's her lot, covering up her lies. And that gets me more than anything. You know, they will bash Trump for a comedy made 11 years ago, but they'll protect Hillary's lies that, um, have affected even, you know, have affected people and they're still affecting them today from, from what she has done in the past. I mean, we have four dead Americans from Benghazi and we have emails from the Podesta file showing how they're using the email, uh, 
scandal to cover the Benghazi scandal. Two different crimes, folks. But you'll never Two see this in the mainstream media. crimes. And, um, that, I mean, that's just unacceptable. Folks, we're coming up against the break. We're going to continue to talk about news and current events on the other side. In hour two, we have economist Stephen Menking coming on. Oh, you're going to want to hear this, man. Wow. Absolutely. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hagman and Hagman Report uh, coming at you. HagmanReport.com. That's HagmanReport.com. That's the website for the news, information analysis. Hagman and the Hagman. That's the hub for the show, different venues. We broadcast on Global Star Radio Network. Thank you, Todd. Uh, Blog Talk Radio as well. And, uh, of course, YouTube Live. Have you gone to MinutemanStove.com, folks? Have you gone to MinutemanStove.com? The Minuteman Rocket Stove. It's a perfect survival cooking stove for you and your family. For a number of reasons, folks, the Minuteman Stove, it's, it, it, it uses just twigs and sticks, small items. You don't have to chop down an oak tree. It requires only small amounts of sticks and twigs for your fuel. So if you're scavenging out there in the South Bronx, you, you'll be able to find fuel for your rocket stove. You're always going to be able to find enough fuel to power this baby up. Now, it uses, again, well, it uses one-tenth of what a normal stove would use. The Miniman stove is fully insulated with ceramic refractory insulation. This focuses the heat, results in cooking power comparable to that of a kitchen stove. It can be also used on top of a picnic table because the outside stove only reaches about 200 degrees in temperature. You can almost pick it up with your hands, basically. And you know what? It's, it, it's got a really neat seal on it. You could seal it up after use, put it away. It does not, uh, doesn't have an odor to it at all. And, uh, when you're using it too, it, it creates no smoke. And smoke creates not just health concerns, but it could give away your location to others if you're in a position where you don't, don't want to do that. It, uh, again, it's self-contained. It seals airtight for travel and storage. It's the only self-contained rocket stove on the market. It's, it's a 50 caliber ammo can designed, um, the design features a lid that has got a rubber seal around it and a carrying handle. It's really, it's a cool device. That's MinutemanStove.com. It's the choice of the Hagman and Hagman survival prep household. MinutemanStove.com. That's Minuteman stove.com by the way made in america by americans and they're also serving our troops the minuteman stove people serving our troops overseas in iraq and afghanistan and every one of these is handmade extremely rugged minuteman stove uh, they come with a two-year no hassle warranty so and by the way to date no one's ever used that minutemanstove.com minutemanstove.com Dot com. Now, I was talking to Steve Quayle earlier today. Again, we, we talk a lot. Have you gotten that lately? <laughs> we talk a lot, and uh, we were talking about different things, uh, Joe. And um, 
It was a great program, by the way. If you if you didn't catch Steve Quayle, go back and listen to the archive on, on Steve Quayle if you didn't catch that. I got a lot of great response on that. Um, but we were talking about the elections and such. And I mentioned that because the words out of Steve Quayle's mouth and the words out of Judy McLeod, editor of Canada Free Press, were nearly identical. You know, uh, I was talking with Judy McLeod today, editor of CanadaFreePress.com, and she said, I'm not sure. I'm still not sure if we, meaning America, are going to have elections. And, and think about that. Here's the editor of a respected, I mean, so far away from Cookville, it's not even funny, not a conspiracy theorist, a journalist, a professional journalist, a highly accredited professional journalist, and saying, I don't know if we're going to have elections. Well, they sure are wasting a lot of time, resources, and money. Um, to, 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 from the paid media shows yeah, to but the, so what? I mean, if they accomplish uh, well, their then goal, I mean, it, yeah, I I agree with that. I mean, that that could be a reason. You know, one good example of the media distraction and uh, election cycle coverage. Um, watching footage now of uh, some of the what Hurricane Matthew did to different parts right. of the yep to the South and North Carolina is still under. Um, Yes. Uh, flood warnings and, and there's, you know, dams that are overflowing and, and people are still being evacuated up till yesterday that I saw. Where'd all the coverage go, uh, from Hurricane Matthew? As soon as it, you know. Well, the, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a, a lot point. going on with it. I mean, but you see the, you know, um, there were National it, Guard trips, as you said. And there, well, there was a state of emergency in, you know, five, at least five states. Um, you had even up to Sunday, Saturday, Sunday, 1,500 people being evacuated from North Carolina. I think that might have been even yesterday due to either levee or dam overflowing um, on the coast in North Carolina. Yeah. Uh, you know, something that was hyped, the storm that was hyped a lot by the media, you know, Shepard Smith, your kids are going to die, you're going to die. Uh, yep. You know, Noah even um, warning the public about their warning saying this isn't hyperbole, you know, this is a serious storm That's for right. the the coverage of it just to disappear while the hurricane or tropical storm was still hitting uh, the United States, even though the eye wall I remained off of the coast while it was a hurricane. It just shows, you know, um, either the people have a insatiable appetite for, for changing news stories and, and information, uh, especially about this election or you know they're easily manipulated into following whatever uh, breadcrumbs the the powers that be in the news uh, leads them to. And I guess uh, the whole thing of that was we're being led rather than um, leading. No, of course, of course we are. And that goes to the bigger um, you know we're being gained constantly. So some lightning round. A lightning round session here of news topics. One news topic that uh, we should be paying close attention to. If the Department of Justice is doing this to Sheriff Joe Arpaio, the Department of Justice can do this to any one of us for different reasons, of course. 
U.S. Department of Justice attorneys have opted to pursue criminal contempt charges against Maricopa County Sheriff Joe Arpaio, of course, for violating a federal court's orders in racial profiling. It's a racial profiling case. But what this boils down to, it's not racial profiling. What this is, is Arpaio is the chief law enforcement officer, highest law enforcement officer of his county. And people need to understand the protocol when you deal with with justice and law enforcement. The sheriff's the highest law enforcement officer of the county. Well, and so it comes off as a personal vendetta. Well, yes, I mean, more uh, than an investigation uh, into criminal activities. It, uh, no, it comes off as not a vendetta, but a the the pushing of this agenda by the feds. Don't forget, you've got the states, state law versus federal law. Arpaio has not yet been officially charged. Now, um, U.S. District Judge Susan Bolton asked the feds, the federal government, to write an order to show cause by Wednesday for her to sign. That's, I mean, in other words, she's saying, okay, give me an order, I'll sign it. Um, that'll serve as a charging document for the case to go forward against Arpaio only. They're, they're going after Arpaio. This, this is all predicated upon this, um, Arpaio saying, look, this is, I'm following the law of the land and the Department of Justice is the lawless one. I'm going to follow not just the Constitution, the state Constitution. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do what the elected, what I've been elected to do. I mean, the guy is what, 80 years old. All right, I'm going to do what I've been elected to do. I'm going to follow the laws of the land, the Constitution, and the state Constitution. Meanwhile, the Department of Justice is the uh, the lynching arm of the Obama slash, uh, well, the Obama regime, and making an example out of Arpaio. Now, we saw this in other realms. Remember Judge Roy Moore with the taking out of the Ten Commandments, all right? Moore, of course, was sanctioned. He was lost his license, um, lost his uh, seat, lost his pension. This is tyranny. And and I laugh. I don't laugh, I guess. It troubles me when I see idiotic, and I mean totally moronic, bloggers out there self-proclaimed journalist authors saying, oh, last time I checked, you're not living, you know, Americans aren't living under tyranny. Well, wait a second. You you know, yeah. Yes, we uh, are. uh, Well, right, we are. Financial, political. We are. In every sense of the word. And those people... It's just not hardcore. That's right. And and, and, and it pisses me off to no end. And and if, you know what, and if if that upsets people, and, and, and... can I leave? Yeah, yeah. You need your safe space. Yeah, that's called my house. Uh, I, I, maybe I shouldn't say say it that way. No, uh, I'm, I'm angry because what what this is doing? Uh, what what what? Just because there hasn't been a Tiananmen Square moment, uh, uh, so to speak, in modern times, or just because we don't have uh, people being hauled off to prisons. It doesn't mean that tyranny doesn't exist. And, and 
for this to this this um, sentiment to be propagated in this fashion. And I do apologize, especially if there were children listening to this. I, I so apologize for, for using that 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 the term. Todd, I apologize if he had to scramble for the red button and all that. But um, it, 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 I, I'm angry, and, and I feel that I've, I'm righteously angry because, folks, I don't want my children or grandchildren to live under tyranny, and I know you don't either. But this is exactly where we're headed quickly. Go ahead. Jim. I mean, depending on your definition, we're already there. Our income is taxed. All the, I mean, just the amount of uh, financial tyranny in this country from yeah. the IRS and and the political organization, and then their misuse of the the funds that they do receive to the oppressive laws, and us being, you know, the the land of the free, home of the brave. We have the most in, people in prison per capita. Um, that's not freedom. You know, every year, what was it? I forget, uh, John Stossel did the uh, special on how many laws and regulations are created each year and yeah. how big of a burden that is, how much money it costs, and, and basically that uh, average Americans commit three felonies a week without even really knowing it, and some people might find that hard to believe. I, th- I think I think it was a day. I'm not sure if it was a, was it a week. I or? think it was a week, two okay. or three felonies a week. Um, <laughs> no, we do live in a, in a tyrannical system. Um and it, it wasn't like this always. I mean, we didn't have the income tax till 1934. You didn't have, uh, you know, the prison systems that we do now, privatization of prison systems, the government forcing you to do things from purchasing health insurance to having car registration and insurance. It is a uh, tyranny that has been subtly increasing year by year by year, unchecked, until today, yeah. and we only we only have you know a little bit more to go. And, so we folks, have this much rope um, you know, from the 1900s. There's you know this much left until it's total, complete control over everything you do, say, eat, uh, how you spend your time. That's very good. Uh, yes, yes, you're exactly right. But but I I, I implore everyone: don't expect one man to change this. Don't don't expect Donald Trump to change this. You know. It's not going to happen. Now it's a, it's it, it's it's a start, I believe. With what we have, the cards that we are dealt, it's a start. But I don't believe Donald Trump will have the ability to change all of this. Um, but we have to try, each and every one of us. We've got to try. I I I don't know what else to do. If 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 you if we don't try, what we just Take our ball and bat and go home. Go go where? What do we do? When when, when you stop trying, what do you do? do? Do you just curl up in a fetal position and and just stop? Yeah, of course, we we you know we pray. We 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 pray. We petition God to answer our prayers, and I think that we need to do that. But at the same time, we need to fight. We need to say, this is not the America that it could be. That, that could be. And when you say fight, uh, I want to say this because people automatically assume, you know, you know, fighting the system. One way to fight against this, the best way, you know, we're, we are, the Bible says about the end times and, and how people will be turned into merchandise. 
and we have been turned into merchandise to a great extent yes. from yes. even the you know things you how you spend your time if you watch TV um where you buy your your groceries where you buy your energy going to work every day um you know if continuing to feed this huge machine by participating in it and most of us can't stop participating in it because then you lose you know uh you would lose everything right. but it, that's what it's going to take because they can't this the leaders of this country can't function without us all going to work every day you know buying the the uh products that well, they are, are pushing. It's kind of like the airports. Right. The, the airlines could not survive if we all decided not to, not to abide by TSA regulations. If we said we're not going to go through the TSA stuff. How long do you think it would be before the airlines would say, okay, TSA, get, get out. We, we have to rethink our policies. So can we do it on a larger scale? No, I, I don't think so because we, we haven't even done it uh, when we, when we can do it. Now, and, and remember, Joe, I'm going to just stray a little bit, but but hold that thought. Um, remember, folks, we were talking at the same time Alex Jones was talking about the TSA being in, in uh, train stations, in bus stations, and and, and and transportation hubs, and people laughed, and even the even Congress and Senate and and the the elected officials said no. The media excoriated the. Uh, Jones. And, and you had these, again, the idiotic, moronic, self-proclaimed publishers of, of truth out there on the website saying Jones is a conspiracy nut. And we found that we had the same information from similar sources within the same departments, governmental departments, different people, same departments saying the same thing that yes, they saw the blueprints for this to happen. So, in, while we could have stopped the advancement of the TSA at the doors of the airport, and in fact shut them down by non-compliance in mass, now they're coming out and going, and, and they're planning to, to go out into other areas to widen their presence. So, using that formula, is this the same thing, Joe? That's going to happen when we could so- stop and say we're not going to participate in this? Yeah, because politicians and government, the government can't function without people buying into the system literally from paying taxes to shopping from, you know, everything that you buy has a a tax price on it. So, sure. You know, all their revenue comes from us doing, and like I said, they've turned us into merchandise. Basically everything we do in life, you have to pay money for. Yes. To get your driver's license to, drive a car to you know the fuel that the car takes um you going to work the taxes they take out of your check everything is taxed and for if we were to decide uh, we can function without the government the government can't function without us and our our money well no no, no stop there somebody might say well you can't function without <laughs> the government the government builds roads they 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 staff prisons. I'm talking about the federal government Okay. You know, well, okay, we, well, you know well, at the local level, we can yeah. still have police, um, because it would be one, I think people would be a lot more motivated, you know, if they knew the money they did spend in taxes went directly to, you know, the hospitals, police, and firefighters, and, and things that you need to function for a working society. But when, you know, everybody's underpaid, and the majority of the money's going to 
you know, the top 1% who rule from a, a obscure city on the side of, you know, the coastal town in DC. Um, but people right. just don't understand right. that. And as you said, we haven't practiced the non-compliance and, and, uh, on a small scale, how can we even begin to imagine it on a large yeah. scale? But are, are, are you, I folks think people are, need to consider this because people are yes. talking about civil war and all these, you know, protests and tensions and, and, there's a, a much easier way to go about, but but when it comes right down to it, though, and Joe, I'm going to ask you, and I'll ask the, the, the listeners out there and the viewers, are you, would you engage, not just in civil disobedience, but in civil war if it came down to it to preserve and to protect your freedoms? How, how could civil war? I mean, well, okay, I'll use an example. Let's just say that Hillary Clinton becomes president alright uh, okay I'm sorry There, I, I, I know I, I just I, I just there are people twitching out there I'm sorry about that um, I didn't mean to make you twitch Eric's over there he's he's actually vibrating off his chair he, yeah um, but if if she said okay uh, by executive order or somehow managed to get Congress to go along with this and a law was was made that guns, bam, gone. History, it's gone. You're not. We are not going to. If you want to have a gun, it's going to be a single shot musket. And I'm being facetious to some extent here. Um, effective on you know March first of 2017. What would you do? What would you, the American person, do out there? I don't think the majority of the American people would do anything. Now, what the government would do would be... Because we talk a good We game. would gauge... Uh, what the government would do from that point would tell... Or it would, would decide what the American people would do. The American people aren't going to go on the offensive. All right. So, at least, I mean... So, so uh, I guess, again, my question is... At what point do you draw the line? Now, I know there are people, uh, there's a subset of people out there. You've got, we don't have much time to, to get into this, but you've got this, you've got this segment of society that, of course, are, are, you know, are just itching for a fight. They're, they're looking for a reason. And then they're, they're, mm-hmm. uh, okay. But. And that's a dangerous place to be. A very dangerous place to be, right. But, if somebody said to you, Mr. And, and you have not ever been in trouble with the law, you have a job, you have a wife, you've got a family, you've got a home, you've got a car, you have stability of residence, you have stability of, 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 of job, you've got, you're well respected in the community, but you own, we'll say an AR-15, with a, and, and they, meaning the government, they know you own an AR-15. Or let's say it's one of us. Uh, or, or, nah, forget us. Let's say it's you. And they give you until March 1st to, to uh, turn in your weapon. And if not, they're going to come and get it. I, I guess my question is, are you going to put up armed resistance? And I think that this is a legitimate question. And if not, why not? I'm afraid, my answer to that, I'm afraid I would. Or not afraid. I, 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 yeah, I, I would. I, I would put up armed resistance against 
that kind of tyranny. Now, there, there are ramifications from that, but folks, sit down and consider what I'm saying over a cup of coffee with your wife, with your son, with your daughter, adult son, adult, you know, with your brother, with your neighbor. Talk about this. Because I do think we're going to be faced with this choice. Because I don't, the, the way I see this going, the election, the power, I think that we're going to have to, I really think, ladies and gentlemen, you and I are going to have to make some very difficult decisions. And I don't believe for one moment that we can hide behind the label of Christianity. Because I, I don't believe that being a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, I don't believe that gives you license or mandates you to become subservient to a tyrannical state. Now, this is my opinion, and you can disagree with me all day long. Any more than it gives... It's the same idea, in a sense. If we are being attacked, if my family is being attacked by a marauder, a Muslim coming in with a machete who's going to uh, rape my wife or my daughter and, 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 and well that's enough right there I will dispatch that person without hesitation to their fictitious 72 virgin paradise in the story that's me now this is me talking this is how I would react I will I will take care of my family. I will protect my, my wife. I will protect my daughter. I'm not talking about protecting things. I'm talking about protecting people. But that's me. But see, I think right now we need to have this conversation. Still have a minute left. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but I don't know if I no, have a minute I left. Know. I'm just messing around. Well, we um, we have Stephen Menking coming up uh, after this upcoming break. And there's some things we did not get into tonight. Uh, we have tomorrow, uh, the first hour open, where we can get into some of this stuff. But just a few quick things people should uh, keep their eye on. Go find and pay attention to. One, um, YouTube hides and slaps warning on new Trump ad putting it in a restricted area and making it an unlisted video because it paints Hillary Clinton in a bad light. Election officials caught on video uh, talking about committing voter fraud. This was a, a, a New York voting commissioner. Project Veritas, yes. Um, the Podesta email, WikiLeak email links, uh, there is so much in there that speak to the collusion between the media and the Clinton campaign, the Department of Justice and the Clinton campaign before uh, their investigation. And there's a lot more, even, you know, CNN town hall questions given to Clinton before the town hall event took place in March. You're listening to the Hagman and Hagman Report. We'll be right back with Stephen Menking right after this. Stay with us.
ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. This hour, we are joined by Stephen Menking of the Amateur Society to discuss a number of issues through the uh, lens of, of the Bible, from economics to education to eternity, as he puts it so well on his website, The Amateur Society. Stephen Menking is, a, is just a wonderful guy that we... Uh, well, that we were introduced to, and I want to thank John Robertson for that introduction. John, thank you so much, my buddy, my friend. Really appreciate your uh, uh, your contribution to this show. Before we go any farther, I just want to mention as well, HagmanReport.com, bookmark that website. Also, folks, please subscribe to our YouTube channel while you still can. That's our official YouTube channel. Go to HagmanandHagman.com and subscribe to that venue. As well as like us on Facebook. We have uh, Hagman Report on Facebook. I've got a personal Facebook, but the Hagman Report on Facebook. Um, actually, my personal Facebook is the Studio Dogs Facebook. Or it's going to be anyway. Uh, lady, she's uh, what, a, what a great uh, dog. Anyway, then Twitter at Hagman Report on Twitter as well. Instagram, yes, thank you. Uh, and, and Jackie, uh, my, just my beautiful daughter, uh, she's gonna be, uh, uh taking care of, she's gonna be, starting Friday, uh, she's gonna be working here in the studios. Uh, thank you for making it possible, folks. Thank you for making, and I just wanna, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you for making that possible. There's more work, so much more work to be done. Uh, hopefully, rather than Joe and I working 16, 18 hours a day, we can cut it down to at least 14 hours a day. I want to draw your attention, folks, very quickly before we bring Mr. Making on to a green evative. Green evative. Go to HagmanReport.com. Click on the link to green evative or Hagman and Hagman. Click on the link to green evative. What, what green evative is? It's a small company in Florida. They created something called the GMAG power cell. It produces electricity by adding salt water to this unit that recharges rechargeable batteries. It's the coolest thing you'll ever see in your life. It's really neat. It's the newest development. The newest development by Green Evative is the Super GMAG battery recharger with replaceable magnesium power pucks. So remember GMAG, that is G-MAG battery rechargeable. Uh, with replaceable magnesium power pucks. They recharge uh, rechargeable batteries, your cell phone. I mean, it, it's really a, a super device for preppers. You don't need an outlet. You don't need sun, wind. You don't need a little chipmunk on a wheel. None of that. All right? You need just two teaspoons of ordinary table salt, a little water, but a bang, you're charging your rechargeable batteries. Super GMAG chargeable is affordable, it's lightweight, weighs about 8 ounces, it's durable, it's EMP proof, and it's environmentally friendly, that it is. It'll provide safe and convenient power for recharging uh, 6 AA batteries off the grid. When other power sources aren't available, anywhere, anytime, in any weather, day or night, it's it's got an indefinite shelf life. and It'll charge unlimited number of batteries by replacing the power pucks. Uh, it's got no moving parts. It's it's really a cool device. Go to greenovative.com. That's greenovative.com. Again, made in America, small company in Florida, uh, designed and uh, 
Wow. It's just a, it's a great device. Steve Menking, folks, is, uh, he graduated from Williams College back in 2010 with a BA in math and stats. How do you like that? Math and stats. That's my abbreviation and a BA in economics. His professional career began in New York City as a investment banking analyst in the technology group of Morgan Stanley. We won't hold that against him. Now, back in 2012, Stephen Making joined a proprietary trading desk, uh, as a short-term equities trader, he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior and was born again in 2014. A week later, he was unemployed. Gee, think there's a connection there? And after seeking God for direction, he was called to be a teacher, and he began working as a private tutor in Manhattan. Since then, he has worked with students from 7 years old upwards to 56 years of age, and he might have to tutor me on math and stats. Uh, anyway, all-around great guy. He founded uh, the Amateur Society in 2014, which, what that is, and, and I looked at that and I thought, what is this? You know, it, but that's a discussion group that focuses on questions of philosophy, worldview, economics, geopolitics, science, current events, and other topics that people bring to the table. The goal is to create an open environment where everyone can sharpen their cognitive tools in order to conduct truth-directed inquiry. And this is a, a, a Christ Christian based group. In, in fact, um, you can search uh, search Amateur Society and uh, follow or join uh, Stephen Making on Facebook and social networking. Stephen Making, glad to have you, sir, on the Hagman and Hagman Report. Well, Doug and Joe, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to come on. Here's a quick tip, Doug. You know, if you're spending 20 hours a day working, you probably shouldn't spend uh, five hours a day posting selfies on Instagram. That's just a math advice. That's a 25% reduction. You could save yourself a lot of time, my friend. Well, no, doggone it, you saw that. No, I. you know what? I've never posted a selfie. I don't take selfies, but... It, it, Thank you for that. <laughs> Thank you for that tip. Uh, well, I, I, just, I actually deleted my Instagram account a couple of years ago, but I might have to join again just for the inside looks at uh, your guys' studio, your beautiful studio that you guys have built. It's awesome. Well, but, well, thank you. Thank you, yes. Yeah. Well, thank you again, just really with an open heart for this incredible opportunity, uh, throwing a bone to a rookie over here, giving me uh, access to your incredible platform that you guys have built. You're to be commended and just thanked so much by all of the Christians and remnant believers out there and for the folks at the NSA. You give them something to do every night, Doug. You know, you're doing a we great do. job. And, and and little old ladies in in, in the deep south with uh, too much time on their hands and not enough uh, cognitive uh, abilities, but that's a different story. All right. Uh, well, let's, uh, let's get into it a little bit. So, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters in Christ and all else who the Holy Spirit has drawn to this broadcast, I'm going to be talking a little bit about my testimony just so you guys can get to know me. And then we are going to be talking about some topics in education, economics, and eternity, some common mistakes that we make, and how we should really approach the issues of our day from a worldview and critical thinking-based perspective. Uh, in general, we're a little bit short on that. I, I work with students of all ages, and honestly, critical thinking, philosophy, and logic are not really on the agenda at most schools, at least in Manhattan, where I am. But if you gentlemen don't mind, I'd like to start off with a prayer this evening. 
Sure. Lord, we just give you thanks, Jesus, for our salvation, for the love that you've shown us, for your incredible grace and mercy upon each one of us. Even though we didn't deserve it, Lord, you died for us, and you give us a new, abundant life, and you call us and you give us a purpose, and, Lord, you give us the strength to fulfill it. I give myself to you, Lord, and I declare that your strength, Lord, is present in my weakness. So overshadow me, Jesus. Let your Holy Spirit guide the words and the thoughts and the deeds of this show. And, Lord, receive all the glory. We give you all the glory, Jesus, for what you're doing, what you have done, and what you will do in our lives. I pray for a special anointing of the Holy Spirit to lead, to discern, and to provide everything that we would need to endure and stand strong in our faith in this hour. And Lord Jesus, I just pray a special blessing upon the Hagman and Hagman broadcast. They're so generous with their time and so fervent in pursuing the calling that you have given them. So Lord God, I just pray that you would bless them, protect them, defend them, be their strength, be their shield, be their sword. Lord Jesus, we just thank you. And we thank you for all of the audience that's been tuning in and will tune in on archives. Lord God, just magnify your name, be glorified, Jesus, and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, gentlemen, a little bit about myself. As Doug mentioned in his very uh, courteous and polite introduction, I, I'm in New York now, and I did work at Morgan Stanley. I was a banker for a couple of years, but... Uh, just getting us out of the gate. I don't have any inside information. I know nothing about secret meetings or anything else like that. Everything I bring to the table is based on research of subjects in the public domain. I don't have any private sources. I'm just a guy, okay? I'm 28 years old. I'm doing my best. I'm trying to follow the path that the Lord has laid out for me, and it's brought me here. But returning back a little bit, in November of 2013, I met a, a wonderful girl who is now my wife, and Courtney was really strong in her faith. And so when I realized that this was something serious, I began to ask myself, you know, what about this whole thing? I was an agnostic at the time, and I felt like I needed to settle these questions. And so I gave it a, a fresh look, and it really sent me on a six-month journey that was absolutely incredible. I covered everything from... Uh, scripture to apologetics to different worldviews to all sorts of debates and then got into a bunch of different what we would call rabbit holes and so I had an awakening process that was spiritual and uh, and awakening to the realities of the world at the same time and so I, I I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior back in May of 2014, and it's been an incredible journey. The journey started with me getting fired, but, you know, that's just the way that it goes. It was only a, about a year later when I finally realized, or the Holy Spirit tapped me on the shoulder and said, yeah, that was... That was me. That was that was God moving me from where I was to in my in my own strength and in my own objectives to where I was supposed to be, and it's been really just a, an awesome an awesome ride. So I was at Morgan Stanley doing banking for a couple of years, and then I was trading uh, for a couple of years. And you know, long story short, everyone, you know, giving my life to God is the best decision I've ever made. Now I work as a private tutor. Uh, I have a 
teaching spirit, but more importantly, I have a teachable spirit. And all of that is just because of what the Holy Spirit has done in my life. I, I run the Amateur Society. It's a focus, uh, a group that focuses on philosophy, current events, worldview issues, economics, spirituality, all sorts of different topics. And it really started because God put it on my heart that I needed to create an environment and a space where you could have real conversations because there just wasn't a lot of real substantive conversation that I was having in my, in my day-to-day life. So, you know, we're, we're working on a bunch of different things. You can, you can find me over at, uh, the Amateur Society on WordPress or on Facebook or even on, even on Steemit. But that's pretty much it for my testimony. And I, I really just wanted to say one thing before we get into, uh, into the rest of it. Look, if you're listening to this broadcast, there's a reason why you're here tonight and you can hear my voice. And for those of you who don't know Jesus, including everyone who just monitors this channel passively. Look, the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. It's a perfect time. It's Yom Kippur. This is the day of atonement. It's the day of forgiveness. And the Lord opens his arms and opens his hands to you and says, Believe on my son and you will receive forgiveness. You will receive newness of life. Haven't we? We just all can look back on a point in our lives and we shake our heads and say, man, I wish I could start again. I wish I could just do this whole thing over. And you can. Jesus will give you that opportunity if you come to him. Even if you think it's silly, just call out to God and ask him to show you who he is. If you've never known God, if you think that there's nothing to it, if there's nothing to it, just ask God to reveal himself to you. I promise you that he is faithful to do it. And for those of you, brothers and sisters in Christ, who do know Jesus, now is the time to cry out to him, to ask him to change you. He he had to change me. He's still changing me. He has a lot of work left to do. But praise God, we're moving in the right trajectory. Get into the Word of God and get in the game. This is a time for action. This is a time of opportunity. This is a time of blessing and of Holy Spirit callings. I mean, who am I? Nobody, really. I mean, did anybody know know of me, really? You know, not really, I would say. It's, uh, it's interesting Facebook conversations about that with people saying, well, you know, who is this guy? And so I'm and only here to tell you that the Lord is exalted and believe on the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, well uh, thank that, you for being open. Yes, go ahead, sir. No, of course. With that being said, let's talk a little bit about education. This is what I deal with uh, at a practical level. And I'm here to tell you, as the curator of the perhaps strangely named Amateur Society, it's okay to be an amateur. We all are, really. And unfortunately, in our society, we deal with what I've termed the cult of expertise, where if someone has three letters after their name, or any such degrees or experience, or they've just been labeled as an expert on something, then we'll take their word on everything. And that's not a good idea. We can't just rely on people who other people say are trustworthy. Our trust and our focus needs to be on God and God alone. We're looking at Proverbs uh, chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. It's very definitive. It's a promise, you guys. And it's very true. 
So first things first, we have to get into the kingdom of God and we have to experience the fear of the Lord that drives us into wisdom. And so, look, experts or not, gentlemen, my generation, the millennials, is a group that has been lied to our whole lives by people who have been lied to their whole lives. So it's not too much of a surprise, at least to me, when we deal with a lot of people who perhaps mean well, but haven't been taught critical thinking and logic. And so ultimately you end up with contradictions in your worldview, such as the postmodern relativistic statement, there is no such thing as objective truth. Well, I suppose a quick question to that would be, is that statement objectively true? If it is, then it's false. And if it isn't, then why should I care? (laughs) That's a good one. The idea here is that our worldviews are extremely important. This is how we view the world. Mine is through the lens of biblical Christianity. And look, these are important answers to incredible questions of origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. And if we have self-contradictions in our worldview or aspects of it that are uninvestigated or unquestioned, then critically, we are going to be vulnerable to deception. And make no mistake, this is a time of deception. And look, there's no shame in admitting that we don't know something. But look, we have to have a teachable spirit. We have to be willing to learn and to investigate. That's really what the amateur society is about. It's a community that says, look, we're all amateurs. Let's let's try and figure at least how this pertains to our worldviews and how that impacts our decisions. Because when we look at it, our worldviews are going to determine our values. Our values are going to determine our priorities. Our priorities are going to determine our decisions. Our decisions are going to determine our actions. And our actions are going to determine our lives and even our destinies. So worldview is important. And if we don't investigate it, if we don't have that solid, stable foundation, then we're going to be in trouble, particularly when we're presented with information that we can't properly account for. But it isn't, it isn't, I, I mean, it isn't, uh, the worldview, uh, I mean, you're talking worldview now. Um, isn't that really at the core or at the epicenter of the demise of the West? I mean, in a larger sense. I mean, we're, we're seeing a collective worldview that is amoral or immoral, um, that, that is godless, lawless, and, and, I mean, for the most part, um, isn't that what it is? Doesn't that, I mean, are, are we, isn't that really the crux of the matter here? It's, it's very much at the center, Doug, and that's, that's very well put for a variety of different reasons. Chief among it is that if we really get to the bottom of it, the dominant worldview is one of secular humanism or scientism that says, I know best. And the way I like to put it in writings and in our discussions is that everyone has an ultimate. Everyone has the one thing that they're not willing to give up, even if you took everything else away. For Christians, and for everyone, I would, I would exhort, that ultimate has to be God. It has to be Jesus. If it's not, then whatever we are placing in that ultimate position, that maximal position, 
it, that foundational position is going to be our idol. And the dominant idol of today is ourselves. And we right. base our conclusions and our worldview and our decisions based not on what is logical or what makes sense or what's even moral, but rather what makes us feel good. And that is a, that is a position wh that we've in part been steered into, but we've walked straight into it because we've been given everything that our, that our flesh desires, particularly here in the West where we can, you know, access any number of any number of things very, very easily. So it's a, it's a, it's a dangerous, it's a dangerous time and it's a dark time, but it's also an incredible time to seek the Lord because his blessing is being poured out. You know, when the gross darkness comes upon a land and the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against it. And so thank you, Doug and Joe, for being part of that standard. But oh, you're right. Worldview is critical. You. Well, okay, and, and as we approach this, we we see the headlines today, and they're coming at us at a, at a rate never before seen in modern times or ever, I believe. Um, our worldview is going to, is really will shape our actions or reactions and actions to the events that are coming at us. Now, having said that, now you're. An economist. I mean, you're, you're, you've got education in, in, well, you're an economist. I'll, I'll just paint you as that. Sure. Um, so, so now, obviously, um, through the lens, well, th from a biblical Christian worldview, you make decisions, economic decisions, and give economic advice, although it's not you know, with all the disclaimers, I'll just throw out all the, you know, make sure all the disclaimers are made. Uh, provide perhaps economic advice based on a Christian worldview. And you operate your, your life the same way as we all should, I believe, through this Christian worldview. But what's happening, of course, it's people are not. And, and this is where we've gone off the rails. But, um, in practicality, you, everything is fine. I mean, uh, what you said is, is good in theory. How do we put this in practice, whether it be it's economics great, or everything? It's, a, it's an awesome question, Doug. And here I'm going to outline, and I'm going to try and do my best to fit this in before the break that we have coming up, and then we'll get into some hyper-practical things on the other side. So economics in light of eternity. Uh, I suppose I'm an economist. My, that's my training, but I am rather critical of economists writ large just because economists invent mathematical and statistical models in an attempt to explain the sum total of human decision-making. It's a vain enterprise, and it really is impossible. However, there are a few core principles to economics that actually work and actually make sense, at least in a secular term. There's the concept of diminishing marginal returns. That just means the more that you have of something, the less each additional unit uh, gives you in terms of value. Think of pizza. Your first slice of pizza, it's great. Your 31st slice, not so much, right? So then there's opportunity cost. This is really critical for decision making because it tells us that when we make any decision, we are also simultaneously deciding not to do anything else that we could have done. We take our decisions much more seriously in light of opportunity cost. And also, there's scarcity. The central problem of economics is how do we manage and optimize scarce resources, such as time? The problem is that while these things do apply in our worldly context, 
we have to know that we serve a God that is not subject to any of these constraints. The more you get of God, the better God is. There's no opportunity cost because God is outside of space and time, and God is not subject to scarcity. And so, as a result, because we don't really understand eternity or the infinite, we make decisions based on these worldly economic principles that end up costing us big time. We are supposed to store up treasures in heaven, and every day, and you know, I need forgiveness for this as well, I'm sure that I pass up on opportunities on a regular basis to store up those kinds of treasures because I'm trying to be on time for a client or some other, uh, some other sort of terrestrial or temporary gain that is ultimately going to be fruitless. And honestly, just take this to the Lord in prayer. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you where those kind of opportunities are. Because if we're talking about economics, let's talk about the promise of infinite returns. Something that will last for eternity has infinite value. Things that will last only for this world have no value in light of eternity. It doesn't mean that we don't need resources. It doesn't mean that we don't need the physical, tangible provision to advance God's kingdom. But, you know, we need to prioritize the eternal, and we really need the Holy Spirit to give us eyes for that. And so, you know... Yep. What's up, Joe? No, no, you're exactly right, uh, Stephen. And uh, we're coming up against the the break here in just one minute. Um, And you made some some very uh hit the nail right on the head with what you were just saying you know too often do we think of uh you know the choices we make affect only the here and now or you know in in the short future uh or the near future but we don't you know aside from turning our life over to Christ and, and getting saved we do not at least I'm speaking from personal experience think of the eternal what what are choices here today in the now uh create for our in our eternity whether it's good or bad and that's something that's so much overlooked and has been so overlooked by people it's important that we focus on that because that i mean our time on earth is a uh, one you know sand molecule in a whole uh, beach of sand compared to the time in eternity folks we're talking with stephen menking his website the Amer- uh, amateur society we'll be back with stephen right after this short break stay with us Talking with Stephen Menking, his website, Amateur Society, uh, that's amateursociety.wordpress.com, where you're talking about the economy, current events, uh, and scripture uh, with Stephen. Stephen, you made a, a great point before the uh, break in the last segment. Where do you want to start off in this segment? Well, I think it's going to be important for us to touch on the current events that people are paying attention to, uh, Deutsche Bank, precious metals. There's so much going on. It seems like every hour there's something new to talk about. Uh, before we get into that, I, you know, a quick introduction to how I think about these things and what kind of structure we need to have in place in order to evaluate these events in their proper context. So... 
just at a really basic level, if something can't go on forever, then it won't. And the current system as constructed is a Ponzi scheme. That's where there's no real value. It's all a fraud, essentially. And there are tons of uh, good authors and incredible research out there. I think the most user-friendly from a uh, from a beginner standpoint is going to be Mike Maloney's Hidden Secrets of Money series on YouTube. Uh, there are seven episodes. Just came out with another one, uh, but they go back a, a few years, and Mike does a great job of introducing viewers to the monetary system, monetary history, and the background context that is critically important to understand. Um, and so I, we frankly don't have the, the time for you know, weeks and weeks to get into all the nuances of that. So I would just say check out that resource if you're, if you're really interested. That provides a, yeah. a great uh, base uh, of understanding. I'll say this, uh, our audience is, is, I believe, the most intelligent, uh, radio audience and uh, listening audience in the entire, on the entire planet. So I, I, you can, you can rest assured, I believe, that, that most, if not all of the listeners have a basic understanding of the, the lack of liquidity, that the fact that it's a Ponzi scheme, that we're living in this bubble, that, uh, it's it's the, this debt that can never be repaid. It's all fictitious, and money is the, you know fiat currency is nothing but a lie. Uh, so that's stipulated. Go ahead and uh, and lay it out for us based on your research, your investigation, your experience, and I'm sure we'll be uh, we'll be good to go. Awesome. So let's try and understand how we should deal with these things. Because we're dealing with something that has great uncertainty around it. Even if we can be sure of the ultimate outcome, we may not know exactly what's going to happen, how it's going to happen, and more importantly, when it's going to happen. And so we have to focus on making practical decisions for ourselves and for our families and on developing the conviction to make those decisions. And this isn't like Holy Spirit conviction or a legal conviction, but it's more like the courage of your convictions. So interestingly enough, the kind of steps that people need to take to protect themselves from a paradigm shift a systemic reset, whatever you want to call it, market crash even, they often seem extreme. You know, get everything out of the system, bail out, all of this, even if ultimately those are practical steps. And so in order to be motivated to take those kind of steps, it, you can either be motivated by extreme emotion, primarily fear, but the problem is that's not going to stick in the long term if you're motivated to do something um, by extreme emotions and then it doesn't work out the way that you expect or that you were promised. And so instead, we need to have a good enough understanding to develop conviction that we understand how things are going to play out and what the ultimate result will be so that we don't get shook around or shook up by the day-to-day -day movements of markets that shouldn't even be called markets and are more or less fictional. So there's no, there's no shame in acknowledging that when it comes to specific economic and uh, financial terms and considerations, all the details, they're very difficult to unpack. I mean, I, I spend a good deal of my time looking specifically at this stuff and have industry experience on both sides of the fence here, but 
I have to do studying and look into things too. These things are created deliberately to be as confusing as possible so that people will simply just outsource their decision making. But we have to take control and we have to take authority over our own resources. And so, you know, if we really understand something, that is when we not only have the courage and the conviction to make a, take a decision, but we also can explain it to other people. For instance, why does Deutsche Bank matter? Well, there's plenty of reasons, but one primary reason is because of a credit default swap. Now, a credit default swap is a familiar kind of derivative contract, but it's a little bit tricky to explain if you actually try. I don't know how many people have tried explaining credit swap derivatives to family members or friends who are, uh, who are asking about the financial crisis or anything else like that, but it's, it's not easy. But here's, here's one way to do it. Here's, how, here's my best shot. You know, a credit default swap is like life insurance for companies. So let's say you want to protect yourself against a company going, going underneath, going bankrupt. You give me some money and I have to pay out a big amount when that company or if that company goes under. And so what happens is I can make some free money by selling a bunch of these contracts because I'm under the assumption that the company isn't going to go under and even if there's a threat, then the central banks will be able to backstop them. So the problem is when one company goes under, all of the other companies end up being at risk because Folks like myself, hypothetically speaking, have written so many of these contracts that if one company goes under, I suddenly get a bill for a trillion dollars and I can't pay it. So then I owe everybody else a lot of money, I can't pay. That means they're getting stiffed on the bill as well. The saying goes, you know, if I owe you a million dollars, then I have a problem. But if I owe you a trillion dollars, you have a problem. So. If everyone I owe money to is in trouble and everyone gets spooked and doesn't lend to each other, then the credit cycle freezes up. And credit is what makes our Ponzi scheme economy fiat currency system run. And this is precisely what happened with Lehman. They had bad bets that blew up and then AIG, the insurance company, had written a lot of credit default swap contracts and they didn't have the ability to pay out on those. So. This next time around, which is guaranteed to happen eventually, um, it's not going to happen exactly the same way because we've gone through another leg in the Ponzi scheme and it's exponentially worse in terms of size, in terms of scope. And so everybody's eyes are on Deutsche Bank right now as the next Lehman Brothers and they are so interconnected via derivatives and credit default swaps that if they, if they go under, we're looking at a very serious situation. Um, it makes a lot of sense, especially the credit, you know, saying if, uh, comparing the, if I owe you a million dollars, I have a problem, and if I owe you a trillion dollars, you have a problem, and, and the yeah, credit like freezing up. It does make a lot of sense, and, um, you know, we've seen in the news recently, you know, stress tests done on Deutsche Bank that, that have failed. Uh, other economists are are sounding the alarm, saying you know there is a crisis Im- imminent. Also, uh, I've seen uh, articles talking about China and their credit problem. I- is their credit problem comparable to Deutsche Bank? And if so, uh, 
if they did have some kind of um, collapse or implosion, what, what would that do to the Western economies? Would we have the same reaction? That's a very good question, Joe. So I am not an expert on China by any stretch of the imagination, but what I do know about their credit and their debt is that it's pretty much exclusively held internally. So other countries hold our debt for the U.S., but China basically owes itself money. That's a little bit easier to deal with because they could just say, all right, we're not going to pay ourselves back. They would technically be defaulting, but they owe the money to themselves, so they can basically forgive their own default. It's kind of a self-initiated debt jubilee kind of situation that is in the card. So uh, the, uh, everybody's eyes are probably more focused on Deutsche Bank rather than China. And of course, if you look at the credit metrics, there's debt bubbles and housing bubbles and infrastructure bubbles. Um, but there's there's definitely something deeper going on, and you know I unfortunately don't have uh, insider information or context to to be able to comment on that with the with full precision. But I will point out that there is a difference between the debt that China holds and the debt that we hold. All right, everyone is predict, predicting or stating that the demise of Deutsche Bank it's inevitable. When that happens. What can we, as the average American individual or average person in the West, or the average person of average means in the UK or any other Western country, what can we expect personally to have happen to us? Most, most generally speaking, uh, Doug, we could expect a dramatic liquidity shortfall if there is no really over-the-top introduction of hyper-dramatic quantitative easing and money printing programs. So there would typically be a a credit freeze, which is very, very bad because that means the, the supply lines come to a halt because nobody's getting paid. What we need to do is be prepared for a scenario where you can't go to the bank and get out money, or if you can, it's only a limited amount, like the Greek, like the Greek situation uh, recently, where you know people are lining up to get their daily allowance out of the Greek out of the Greek banks. Uh, kind of a ridiculous scenario, but you know people could see that coming, and it was a you have to be paying attention so that you can take advantage of the opportunities that you have while there's still daylight, just because. There is a sense in which everything is on the on the edge, but I don't know how long it can be prolonged, and I imagine there would be political and other sorts of calculations as well. But I can tell you what I'm looking for in terms of Deutsche Bank that would be kind of red alert uh, red alert signals for me. Um, the red alert signals that I'm looking for would be depositors lined up to take their money out of Deutsche Bank. The re- if the retail depositors lose faith in the bank then that signals to me some very big problems. Uh, another trigger would be if they get their credit rating downgraded to, to junk, and that could happen sort of at wit and whim. Um, the credit rating agencies, to a very real extent, are essentially just political arms and are, are compromised. They're not doing real credit rating. They're making decisions based on uh, what they're told to do in terms of, in, in terms of rating people's credit. But another trigger would be uh, the stock hitting single digits, getting under 10 in either euro or dollar terms, 
or even both. And the reason why all of these things stand out to me as signs to watch for is that they would trigger uh, forced selling. And forced selling is a situation where people are not dependent on price. They just have to get out for legal or other reasons. You know, if, if, if Deutsche Bank gets their credit downgraded to junk, then they can't legally hold some of the derivative contracts that they currently have on their book to the tune of 40 plus trillion, if you believe their accounting, 75 trillion previously, and who knows what the real off-book stuff is. Um, it's probably a little bit more accurate for Deutsche Bank uh, because of their regulators are a bit more independent than over here in the United States where banks are essentially allowed to keep two different sets of books. So those are, those are three things that I'm watching for that would tell me that we have a, a very short time frame to take, uh, to take actions. But these triggers could happen at any point, really. And so it's worth taking some practical steps to be prepared. And, you know, uh, the advice that I have is make sure that you can subsist with the resources that are in your hand for uh, whatever period of time that you can arrange whether it's a week or a month or maybe even longer when it comes to when it comes to food and water that is preferable and sometimes it's difficult to get over that hump i know that you know i just read a report that 7 out of 10 americans have less than $1000 in savings and I, I i mean i don't know about you guys but i i believe that and so i know that people are living paycheck to paycheck and it's extremely difficult but we can all do as much as we can. We should, we should take it to the Lord in prayer. And if it's an extra can of food every trip to the store, if it's an extra, uh, an extra case of bottled water every time, then pretty soon we'll have, uh, we'll have something good. If you, if, if you see those, if you see those red flags though, definitely, definitely take the opportunity while, while it still exists. All right. Very sage advice. If we're for any, <laughs> for many reasons, for any uh, situation, um, because and, and so we're, we're going to have you back to be sure, because you, your advice is sound, and of course your information is good um, for the listeners and for us. Uh, but having said that, because um, I, I don't want people to think, wow, you know, uh, we're trying to pack a lot of information in here, uh, although we are, but we definitely will have you back. But but uh, all of that said. And a question that we always get as well is, well, what about precious metals in our, um, you know, in our portfolio or having them, owning them, uh, keeping them in our home safe or whatever? Um, is that a good thing given the situation with the U.S. dollar and the dollar, the fiat currency all across the, the globe? Um, where do you see the precious metals going? Um, from here well it's it's difficult Doug to predict price points exactly but it's an emphatic yes as to what you should what you should be owning now there's a couple different sets of piece of pieces of advice that I would have if you are not a professional investor then park your park your savings and hold your savings in the form of physical silver and gold physical silver uh, priority because of historical ratios and value, but also because it's uh, it's less it's less expensive than gold and a little bit easier to uh, transact hypothetically. So 
silver, physical silver, without counterparty risk, namely in your possession, is something that needs to be part of anyone's portfolio, no matter how much savings they have, as long as they've procured basic, uh, basic food, water, shelter, uh, medical supplies, anything to ride out a storm. But if, if the storm is economic and it's, it's longer than, uh, it's longer than a very short period. We're looking at a at a situation where the dollar is not going to preserve its uh, its purchasing power, and we could just look back at history. Since the dollar, the Federal Reserve note was originally created as a debt instrument uh, back when the Federal Reserve was brought online, the dollar has lost what 96 percent or more of its value. So it's heading to zero because that's where all fiat currencies all throughout history have headed. And so if you want to preserve your purchasing power, uh, gold and silver uh, priority on silver is the best place to go. And we have to we don't have to look further than Venezuela to see what happens when a currency gets into trouble. And, you know, I heard this statistic uh, uh, even a couple months ago now, so it's probably worse, but an ounce of silver can get you a couple months' worth of food down there, and an ounce of gold will get you a house, you know? This isn't because we're supposed to be scalping land and the rest of it, but it's a dramatic representation of how precious metals actually do hold their purchasing power, and so as such, you need to, you need to have at least some of your portfolio in that area. Precious okay, metals man, are absolutely it, a priority. Let me ask you, Mr. Making, um, what you just said, okay, an ounce of gold will get you a house in Venezuela, an ounce of silver will get you uh, a bunch of food. Is that in theory or in practicality in Venezuela today? That's a report on the ground in Venezuela in reality as of, uh, as of a couple months ago. Even U.S. dollars, because of their relative currency strength, are very much in value. Uh, if you're, oh, if you're interested oh. in a more detailed report uh, from the ground, um, look up Jeff Berwick at the, at the Dollar Vigilante. He went to, he went to Venezuela, I think it was late this summer. And so he's given a few different interviews about his experience that is very telling about the, about the situation on the ground down there. Okay. Very interesting. And thank you. Yeah, I didn't, I, I, I didn't read that or hear that, but that does make sense. Do you see, and, Again, I, I apologize if, if these are not the areas or if this isn't the area you, you would like to go. But, but do you see a Venezuela-type situation happening here in the United States? And I know you don't have a crystal ball. We're just talking. We're just a couple of guys talking here. But, but you've, got, you've got the practical experience, the, the knowledge. Uh, you know what you know of which you speak. So, I mean, given the scenarios um, here in the United States, and as the U.S. goes, I'm sure much of the world goes, much of the West goes. What do you see? What do you see taking place here? A Venezuela situation? Or, um, what? Well, there are tons of different theories about what exactly is going to happen for whatever reason. Uh, a Venezuela hyperinflationary currency event is possible, and I would argue probable, but it depends on how the central banks and everyone else responds to the next downturn, the next recession, the next financial crisis, the next time when everyone is in trouble and we experience a you know dramatic asset price deflation when the air comes out of this bubble, the central banks typically don't learn their lesson 
and they will typically do more of the same except on a grander scale. So maybe instead of the Fed printing $5 trillion, next time they're going to have to print $50 trillion, if that's even a possibility. So they can, they'll run, they might be running the printing presses 24-7, and by printing presses, I mean just clicking a mouse button furiously over and over and over again, just creating additional currency out of nowhere, and it's that runaway escalation in the monetary supply that can eventually cause a kind of hyperinflationary atmosphere. It's, it's not out of the question at all. I think that it's possible for us to see a couple different waves of, uh, of price deflation and then inflation. It's, it's rather nuanced and it depends on how the central banks and various other global institutions decide to respond. If it's status quo, they're just, uh, they're just taking the same page out of the same playbook and listening to professional PhD economists, then yeah, that's, that's where, that's where we're gonna go in a variety of these different kinds of situations that could play out. So, uh, having precious metals is, um, an important aspect of any portfolio because it helps to diversify your risk in uh, across a wide variety of situations even in even in deflation precious metals can perform but that is that is something to pay attention to and something to look out for and it doesn't even have to be economic it could be a geopolitical situation where everybody decides all right we're not going to hold the dollar for the for the petrodollar for the US reserve currency anymore and all of the money that has been held in uh, in foreign banks because they needed to use it to buy oil in the past actually comes back home to the US. That alone could cause a, a dramatic inflation, stagflation, or even hyperinflation to occur if the trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars that foreign governments are holding come back into, uh, come back into the US. Is it... Is it uh, you, you, uh, sorry, I had Joe. a closing question, so if you have something to add to what he was... Well, uh, about three years ago, now, maybe four years ago, I wrote an article, uh, they're just going to kill the U.S. dollar. They're just going to kill the dollar. As a matter of fact, somebody turned it into a YouTube video that went viral. I mean, it's got millions of hits, but um, is that their objective? The globalist objective is to take down the U.S. dollar and, and then, of course, with the intent to replace it with a global currency? It's certainly plausible. Uh, the cover of The Economist from 1988 gets cited an awful lot with the 2018 yeah. Phoenix out of the fiat currency ashes. It's, it's not out of the question at all. You would have to, you would have to blow up the dollar and blow up America essentially in order to eliminate the, you know, final resistance to globalism, even though nowadays we're seeing nationalism on the rise all across the world. So, you know, we may we may get a reprieve. Who knows? But okay. we need to be prepared for all these different scenarios. Gotcha, Stephen. We got about two minutes left in the program. Just want to ask you, uh, I guess, a personal question. How do you like Times Square Church? Times Square Church is incredible, you guys. Thank you for bringing that up, Joe. Uh, this is a church started by Pastor David Wilkerson. is now uh, pastor by Carter Conlin, and it's a holy. Spirit-filled service every single time you're in there. We have a prayer meeting um, that is every Tuesday. You can uh, go to tscnyc.org and watch it live or listen to the archives. The, the Spirit of the Lord is moving and lifting up a standard. We're praying that God would arise and that his enemies would be scattered. Um, according to Psalms 68, verse 1, 
it's I can't I can't say enough good things. My wife and I have been going there for two years. We did premarital counseling there. We have some great friends. I'm I'm working with a couple sta- uh, a staff member on Bible reading and just on a tutoring kind of basis. And and my wife Courtney is involved with the with the music ministry. It's an inc- it's an incredible place. And I'd encourage everyone to check it out online, particularly if you're uh, if you're you know, looking for some fellowship. The prayer meeting has over a hundred people from over 160 countries tuning in. We're seeing some miracles, and God is on the move, you guys. Wow, fantastic! Well, well, Stephen Manking, uh, we would like uh, to thank you for your appearance tonight. We would also want to invite you back. Hopefully, you will come back with us, get more into the um, the economic side of things, and in uh, much greater detail and much. Uh, well, you'll come back, I, I, I trust, correct? Well, blessings to you, Doug and Joe. I would be thrilled to be back any time that works. Situations could get hot and heavy at, at any moment, so I'm, I'm standing by. I'm, right. I'm ready, to, ready to stand up, whatever, whatever you right. guys need. Stephen Making, uh, Amateur Society. Uh, actually, you can go to his website. Uh, uh, folks, go to the ha- uh, go to HagmanReport.com and click on the link in the program description, as well as Hagman and Hagman, right to AmateurSociety.wordpress.com. Stephen Making was our guest. Uh, what an interesting man, and of course, what a great testimony. What a great. Uh, a great topic, especially in these days. Absolutely. Christian, uh, Christian economy. We're going to be coming back here with a very special guest. You're not going to want to miss this next hour. This is something, we're doing something a little bit different. I'm not going to tell you any more than that. you got to stay with us to the other side. Back, folks, to the Hagman and Hagman Report. Uh, by the way, Stan Dale is off tonight. He'll be back with us next week. Uh, Standale.com. He'll be back with us next week. But in, in his stead, we've got kind of a very special guest lined up here. I'm going to be talking about that momentarily. Uh, folks, go to HagmanReport.com or HagmanAndHagman.com. What I'd like you to do is subscribe to our YouTube channel, number one, and also subscribe to our various networking, uh, social networking sites so we can raise our visibility. Folks, last year we managed to be downloaded in 111 countries. Uh, we've had... Um, uh, well over 65 million downloads in, uh, in, in our broadcast and, and we're expanding, getting the word out to even more people. We're very proud of, uh, where we've, where we've gone and how we've gotten there. And of course, bringing you the best of what I think the best of the best. And, uh, in terms of people, guests and, uh, ideas, information, inspiration. In all of that, so I want to thank each and every one of you for listening to us and for uh, uh, your belief and your trust in us. 
And certainly we've got a, a headline rich environment, uh, as we, as we look at things. But uh, tonight we're going to do something a little bit different because the, the headlines, I can guarantee you, the headlines that you see about the, oh, about the debate, about, uh, my goodness, the little, little five second drive by hits on whether it's the Drudge Report, they're going to be there tomorrow. Um, I, I, I want to tell you just a little bit of a story. I, I was, uh, sitting in my office and, uh, got a phone call from someone and, uh, I was introduced to a gentleman by the name of Alex Wilson. Now, Alex, Alex Wilson is our guest for the next two segments here. He's going to introduce something to you that when I heard it, I, at first I thought, wait a minute, I don't quite understand it. Then when I did understand it, when I got it, I thought, my goodness, what a tremendous story. It's, it's, it's a, it's a great story. It's a great, it's a great story about a great man, a great company, a great group of men, a great company, about what they're doing to help another country, but in so doing, helping those who um, are, are a part of the, well, helping others with respect to investments and protecting money. How about growing money? A listener, what, what happened was this, a listener introduced... Um, uh, this gentleman to our show. And this listener thought that uh, this gentleman, Alex Wilson, his story and, uh, what he does would be of interest to the broader audience of the Hagman and Hagman report. And after hearing this story, I would, he's absolutely correct. I'd like to bring on Alex Wilson, but in so doing, I would like to direct everyone's attention to the following website. Precious timber. That's right. I, nah, we haven't lost, we haven't gone coconuts here. <laughs> the relevance of that will become clear momentarily. Um, preciousTimber.com. This is a magnificent company, but it's a magnificent story behind this company that affects or may affect or could affect each and every one of you listeners and all of us. Uh, this, as a matter of fact, this man is, uh, I've, I've grown to respect this man. His, his mission, which is just tremendous. And even better yet, he's come on board as a uh, supportive sponsor of our program. Alex Wilson, welcome to the Hagman Report. Thank you, uh, Doug. How are you tonight? Very well. Thank you, sir. Thanks for asking. Um, I, again, I want to say thank you so much. You know, it, it's kind of interesting. Thanks for appearing tonight and taking your time out to, to share with our listening audience the story of, of your story, the story of your company, what you're doing in a tiny country in Central America, what you have done, what you're accomplishing, and the effects, the positive effects, and how others can benefit by exactly what you're doing. Um, I don't want to make this sound like an infomercial because it's not, but this is more of a testament to business, your business, your your story, your mission. Um, so, welcome to the Hagman Report. PreciousTimber.com is the website. Alex, tell us about yourself. Certainly. Um Listen, first of all, I, I think the best way to start um, our story is to basically, you know, the glory goes to God, because if it wasn't for 
the things that we have been exposed to, when I say we, I'm talking about my best friend and longtime friend, Ken Ross, my business partner, who permanently uh, lives in Central America, moved his, uh, himself and uh, and uh, every kit and caboodle of uh, his being there in uh, about 15, 18 years ago. Um, but uh, our story is one in which uh, we've become the great benefactors of something that we would never, ever have dreamt of possibly even doing ourselves. It was in the late 1990s. I'm sitting at uh, this very chair at my desk in my office in um, in Southern California reading a um, an investment-related uh, newsletter, a little bit more on the contrarian side of investing, a little bit more on the, um, on the maybe uh, the right as opposed to the left, and um, talking about internationalizing my portfolio and, and being smart about where to hold assets, how to hold assets. Um, this was just prior, of course, to the 2000 crash. And I, uh, you know, I, I'm originally from the UK. I've been in the States since the uh, mid-1980s. Um, and so I, you know, come here um, as a youngster, $40 in my pocket and, and, and grasp, grasped a hold of the American dream and, and, and financially had done well. And, and so I was looking for uh, some guidance and I, I, I subscribed to this newsletter. I had a, a financial planner at the time that was a nice guy. He wasn't very successful with my portfolio. I think um, we all probably have ran into that from time to time. But uh, anyway, long story short, I'm reading this article about a Pacific Coast real estate opportunity in Central America. And I'm thinking, well, surely this guy's got to be talking about Costa Rica. Uh, but lo and behold, the story wasn't about Costa Rica. It was about the neighboring country, Nicaragua. And of course, coming from the UK, Doug, I had no knowledge of the relationship between the U.S. and Nicaragua. I had no clue that Nicaragua had been, you know, a country that the U.S. has strategically held important for many, 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 many years, many decades through the Somoza family. Washington funded there uh, the, the, the Somoza, who was basically a dictator down there. And it wasn't through until about the 1970s when... Uh, small group of young guys got together, educated Nicaraguans, and said, hey, to heck with this. Everybody's kind of, you know, dumbed down here. There's no education. We have to free ourselves. Much like the Yanks kicked the Brits out <laughs> many, years ago, many years ago. Anyway, I'm learning about it in 1999. I've kind of found the story fascinating, and of course, I went through all the history, and uh, for those uh, that were here, they saw the vivid images on television every night in the 80s. And long story short, um, Nicaragua was freed and, and you know, by 1989, the U.S. helped them design and build their constitution and became a, uh, a, a democratic society. And, and since then, there's been this remarkable transformation taking place where now instead of the populace being illiterate, it's highly literate. 97% of the population is, is educated today. 
a young, vibrant population, most of the older generation, unfortunately, in that revolution, um, were killed. Um, but I'm reading about this property on the coastline, and it visually looked like Southern California, obviously a little bit more tropical, but it was all of those beautiful little bays and coastal crannies and what have you. And property was a song and a dance. I'm talking in the hundreds of dollars per acre on the sand. Well, mm. being the entrepreneur, yeah, being the entrepreneurial mind, I flew down there with my with my friend Ken. Ken had already surfed um, Central America. He'd surfed Costa Rica, Panama, and Nicaragua in the early '90s. So he was anxious to go again. My beautiful wife told me, "Honey." You're an idiot. <laughs> You're going to get killed. <laughs> but what I found was the most peaceful part of anywhere that I'd been. I've traveled to, you know, I mean, I've, I've touched down in 75 plus countries, but I found this very peaceful society with this jaw, jaw droppingly gorgeous coastline and no one on it. And so. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's just fascinating. The, the development was being put together by an American. I had the opportunity to buy some coastal real estate for virtually pocket change. But that wasn't really the impetus of the business for us. What happened that very first night is we went down to a little town called San Juan del Sur where there was a little fishing village and we ate at a little restaurant. And as Ken and I came out of the restaurant, there was a group of about 40 young boys. Of course, you would call them a gang anywhere else, but it was 40 young boys gathering together at the corner of a street. Now, I traveled much, and I knew what young, young boys can do, and so I had the hands to the ready. But as we walked by them, one of them shouted out from the crowd, Hey, hablo español, and I had a little bit of Spanish. And as I replied, he said, that's okay, we speak English, come and chat to us. And for an hour, we sat talking to those to those lads. And the thing that hit Ken and I the most, Doug, was here they are, 40 boys, anywhere from 16 to 20, and none of them had a job. Wow. And I couldn't wow. sleep that night. Yeah, I, could, I couldn't sleep that night. It kept me awake. I was born and raised in the UK. Ken was born and raised in America. We were geographically blessed. Hmm. We came home. We came home and we said, "Hey, we have to do something for those boys." Okay. And that, and that's that's what started our business in 2001. We started a company down there, and um, it led us towards agriculture, which is where we are today. We employ 350 young, strapping, healthy, energetic, excited, anxious, uh, great guys. And um, we've had a tremendous decade and a, and a half uh, building a, uh, a fabulous company from a financial point of view, helping um, American, European, international investors exposing them to what's really happening because here's what's funny why is it maybe you know <laughs> why <laughs> is it that 
why is it that good news isn't told on television? You know, you asked me that. One of our initial conversations, you asked me that very question. And uh, I, I was thinking about that because we the news we cover here is is all bad. And that that got me thinking. Very, very, very infrequently do we talk about the good news about the changes and your business uh, the i mean you're in a unique business what you have done is changed not just your life the lives of your business partners but also the lives of people within a country that was once ravaged by by war civil war war from external forces and uh made a huge difference and because of the nature of your business, which you grow precious, valuable tropical hardwoods and coconuts, for example, in Central America, in Nicaragua, it's one of the most most beautiful, fertile areas in the world. Um, I mean, you're you're changing the lives of many people, and it's an amazing. This is an amazing success story, and it could have gone not this way. <laughs> it could have gone. Differently, of course, and 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 we knew that it was a it, there was a you know we, we were somewhat pioneers, and sometimes pioneers get shot in the back by a you know by a, uh, all kinds of things, a bow and arrow, and what have you. For if you want to go back even further in time, but but also there's opportunity when 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 countries are changing, when countries are fed up with the way they were run, when citizens revolt like they did in Nicaragua, when citizens demand a chance, when people stand up and can vote and put a check mark, we're talking about voting all the time here the last year and a half in America, when people that haven't had the chance to vote and they can actually put a check mark by their name and say who it is that they want to have lead them and give them the opportunity to be able to attain some of the simplest things. I mean, some of my staff, it warms your heart to know that here's guys that have had nothing but, you know, odd jobs. When I first went to Nicaragua, the average wage across the country was about $600 a year. Here we are now, 15, 16 years later, the economy's booming. They've had GDP growth down there since the 2008 crash of almost 5% every single year since 2008 on, and it was strong before that. It's the fastest growing, um, one of the fastest growing countries on the planet. It's a developing nation. 1.3 million tourists, 60 to 70 cruise ships a year. Hmm. Uh, U.S. expats moving because of the cost of living, the safety factors. Here's a great statement and a great factual uh, data point. Gallup poll recently did a study on Central and South American countries for their safety factors. Who would have thought that at the top of the list, the safest country in all of Latin America is Nicaragua. 
You surprised me when you said that in passing during one of our conversations, and I had to look that up and verify that. You're exactly right. And folks listening to this program, and we get all sorts of emails and questions, well, where, if I would like to relocate outside of the United States or wherever they are in the West, where to relocate based on stats? Well, there's one answer for you right there. Uh, Nicaragua has got amazing statistics, positive statistics, safety uh, being one, security being one. Uh, yeah. Considering yeah, the, the recent history, wow. Yeah, yeah, it's it's remarkable, and 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 it, it's almost like the diamond in the rough, but the secret is somewhat out. Um, obviously, not to the extent of countries that spend hundreds of millions of dollars a year on U.S. television with their ads saying "Come here to vacate" or "Come there to vacate." Nicaragua's never spent a dime on on any of the advertising. It's all word of mouth. But um, but it is it is. A story that I think is is about to explode. It's about to run rampant um, because, as I wrote to our clients uh, just yesterday, that and I came back from Nicaragua. I'm there every month for six, eight, ten days. My partner moved, as I said, permanently lives there overseas. For a lot of the staff and, and a lot of the work that we do with generating new reforestation plantations, helping enhance wildlife corridors, building new um, uh, valuable precious hardwood plantations so that the fresh air that we all need every day is in constant supply. Trees are the most unbelievable uh, entity on the planet. They suck in all of that carbon dioxide. And of course, uh, you know, we, we create lumber. And so uh, it's all done on a managed, under a managed a reforestation platform and, and from the financial point of view which is what I thank the Lord every day for because my portfolio was kind of modeled after what the US and the UK financial institutions tell us to do and that's a 60-40 uh, investment plan 60% in the stock market 40% mm-hmm. in you know maybe bonds and other things gold silver mutual funds things like that and i don't know about you but uh i could t- give you the numbers i mean <laughs> the average 65 year old doesn't uh, doesn't have $200,000 uh to their name to retire on because of the ups and downs and the gut wrenching volatility of those places it seems to be a certain group that's always does well but the average person's portfolio i mean Goodness gracious, in the last 15 years, uh, 2008 and 2000, we saw, you know, a 50% haircut uh, almost twice. Yes, yes. And trying, yep. yeah, trying, to, re- trying to recover from that, um, you know, it's nice to say, well, at least I've got, you know, I'm back where I was eight years ago. But that's, that's, not, that's no way of growing money. And the fascinating thing for us, for Ken and I, because as I say, we got led down this path. We went to look for real estate on the ocean, and out of the blue, we meet someone that had two sons that wanted to go fishing. All they wanted to do was buy a couple of fishing boats. They had this land that they didn't know what to do with. They didn't have any money to maintain the land. It was a large parcel, many thousands of acres. They had no clue. 
the acreage was very valuable tropical hardwoods. They just wanted to cash out of the ground because you can't fish from, you know, a forest. Yeah. You, can only, you need a boat and you need some poles. And so we were able to purchase the property because it was affordable, get those kids fishing. But unbeknownst to them and unbeknownst to us, we purchased an, a, an insane amount of, of tropical lumber. They'd sold us an insane amount of tropical lumber. And if it wasn't for one of my employees, we wouldn't be sitting here having the conversation tonight that one of my employees said, hey, what are you going to do with all the trees? And I go, nothing. That's where the monkeys live. You don't cut trees down. You leave them up. Mm. And he was he was the one that said, yeah, but Nicaragua's growing as a nation and we're trying to attract direct foreign investment. And we have unbelievable um, programs in place for reforestation companies, millions and millions of available acreage that used to be forests back 100 years ago that were torn down. We'd love to have them replanted so that we could have a sustainable economic industry creating jobs, creating lumber, creating taxes, creating incentives for schools to be built and things like that, which we've done. You would do the same. Anyone listening tonight would do the same if you were given that opportunity and you saw, like we did in 2001, Nicaragua had never had a public lending library. So if you're a kid, how do you get a book? There you go. Yeah. Well, when you see that problem, you solve it. It's very easy to do. Bring book, you know, bring suitcases worth of books. Right. <laughs> every every yeah. time you go, and, and 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 we helped a lady from Colorado get that started. And those are just some of the things. As I say, I mean, you know, a couple of years ago, three years ago, we learned my 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 business partner steps and said, Dad, I'm, I, I want to leave school. I want to change change school. And Ken asked why. He said, well, I'm tired. I'm tired of the school. He said, how can you be tired of school? Isn't it interesting learning? He said, it is interesting learning. But you try learning sitting on the floor all day. Mm. Okay. And Ken said, what, what do you mean? He said, there's no chairs in these school rooms. Well, we've made <laughs> hundreds, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of chairs. And so it's it's wow. a blessing to do. It's a blessing to do. It's an unbelievable, you know, feeling to have. And as I mentioned, I back into this world of timber. I come back to my office. I sit and I poke around online. And lo and behold, I come across the NACREF Timberland Index. That's the index that tracks timber returns in North America. I don't know about you, but I had no clue that timber was an asset class. And this, folks, this is really, I mean, no, I didn't either. An asset class, timber, standing timber? (laughs) Okay. I mean, uh, not a clue. So as I search and I look, and anyone can do that, NACREF, N-C-R-E-I-F, NACREF Timberland Index. The U.S. started it in the early 80s, right after the ERISA laws changed. And from the early 80s until now, 
not very many people know this. I call it a billionaire secret. I've written a white paper report on the whole thing. Oh, yes. Yeah, the billionaire secret, Doug, is how about 14% ROI for the last 30-something years with never a crash. You know what, um, Alex, hold that thought right there because we're coming up against the break. But, but folks, we're talking with Alex Wilson of Precious Timber. And you've heard, for example, in previous programs, you've heard uh, uh, Ross Powell's Survival 401k saying, you know what, you can actually uh, direct, self-direct your 401k. And I'm giving this as an example uh, by uh, putting gold and silver into your uh, IRA. We're talking with Alex Wilson of Precious Timber. Precious timber, as he just mentioned, is an asset class which you can self-direct even put in your IRA. But the reason I'm mentioning this, and then the reason I asked Alex to come on uh, to, to the show today, is to introduce you to Precious Timber. This is a magnificent business, but but he's the, the business itself has done so much, made the difference, such a big difference in the lives of local people in Nicaragua, protecting and enhancing the environment, and giving you insight into numerous possibilities that you, the listener, well, you can have numerous possibilities. Folks, stay right where you're at. More with Alex Wilson on the other side. HagmanReport.com, HagmanAndHagman.com, the former for news, information, analysis, articles of importance, the latter, Hagman and Hagman, for all of our listening venues and, of course, social networking as well. Right now we're talking with Mr. Alex Wilson of PreciousTimber.com, PreciousTimber.com. You know, a listener introduced Alex Wilson to our show, and he thought that Mr. Wilson's story and what he does to grow and protect money. Did you hear what I just said, to grow and protect money? would be of interest to our audience. And after hearing his story, I thought, man, especially in these times, you betcha. You better believe it. It's of interest. Because what Mr. Wilson is talking about, what he has done, he's making a mean, has made and continues to make a meaningful difference in the lives of uh, a nation, a country the local people of Nicaragua and he's protecting the environment as he is doing it and he is giving back that's the thing he's giving back um he's growing timber alex wilson is growing timber precious timber uh growing one of nature's oldest commodities he's growing lumber if you will um but uh but he's also giving back he's he's helped start a library uh, manufactured donated chairs, as he referenced, for a, for schools. They've built baseball fields in Nicaragua. You know, the, uh, the number, uh, I mean, the outreach. See, you folks, so much, so much you hear about the, oh, the mercenary activities and all of this other bad stuff. Man, listen to what this man and this company is doing. But even Better still, we can all be a part of this 
and and I looked at this and I thought, man, how great is this? The opportunities, because now, Mr. Wilson, thanks for staying with us. Now, you are certainly in a unique business. You just to be clear for the people just joining us here, you grow precious, valuable tropical hardwoods and even coconuts. That's referenced in an earlier statement I made in Central America, in Nicaragua, just north of the. Uh, Costa Rica in one of the world's most fertile agricultural regions and you help investors discover how mother nature and biology outperforms Wall Street you can't get this level of benefit from anything as you had mentioned when it comes to profit making at least in in my view and and again you do this while making a very meaningful difference in the lives of local people and we love success stories like this we love to hear about not just the bad stuff but the good stuff and protecting and enhancing the environment which everyone's concerned about and you do all of this and, and you kind of gave an overview of how you began with this um and I just want to say thank you because after speaking with you a couple of times as I have and then understanding what you do by going to preciousTimber.com and understanding, reading about your company and reading about what you do, man, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm really impressed. And the difference, the difference you've made, you, your company have made, it's phenomenal. And it just tells me that we can all make a difference as well i mean just as you have but i i don't want to be i don't want to take up too much of your time uh if i could what and if you want to revisit any of what i just said feel free to but wood of course is one of nature's oldest commodities what type of lumber do you grow there in nicaragua well we're only in the very very valuable tropical species we're not growing Pine, Douglas, you know, it doesn't end up as two by fours or plywood mm-hmm. or pulp and paper. This is the, this is the, this, the stuff that you see on, on the most beautiful floors and doors and windows and, and paneling and desks and furniture and inside of theaters and movie, you know, palaces and what have you i mean this is this is the valuable stuff i mean uh you you and and you said that you're right it's the most you know unbelievable location um and because of that um and let me just touch on that first of all nicaragua is an unbelievable location geographically she sits on the sixth largest freshwater aquifer on the planet and of course, we all we all know that uh, what are we seven billion? I think there was two billion people on the planet when I was born in 1958. There's seven billion uh, here now. There's going to be nine billion. There's going to be eleven billion. We all need to be fed. There's just less and less arable land available. Nicaragua has got the most unbelievable volcanic, fertile, black soil with this incredible climate uh, of 360 days of sunshine with 70 to 300 inches of rain depending
dependent upon which part of the country. It's the largest country in Central America. Um, the temperature fluctuates from the high 80s to the mid 90s. You don't don't go there if you want to if you want to stay cool. <laughs> and so so, <laughs> yeah. so, 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 yeah, so stuff grows. Um, and take our mahogany. We 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 grow up several different species. We grow local mahoganies, African mahoganies, we grow teak, we grow cocobolo, we grow all kinds of the most valuable stuff that you see in uh, the U.S.'s lumber yard selling for 20 30 40 $50 per board foot. I mean, this is the valuable stuff. And instead of having to wait, as you would do in North America, for 30 or 40 or 50 years for these trees to grow. And this is the key, Doug, to the business side and to the portfolio side of what we do and which you um, graciously said that we're doing. Actually, it's my staff. I have no one to thank other than my staff. They're the ones that brought this idea to me. They're the ones that guided my partner and I into this business and have taught us everything we know so we owe everything to the to the to the people uh, that we've become great friends of uh, to the government uh, officials that have helped us along it's a great place to do business an easy place to do business it's a law abiding country it's a it's a safe country it's a rule of law country it's a country that wants international foreign investment in fact um, if anyone wants to email me at awilson at preciousTimber.com, awilson at preciousTimber.com, I can send you all of the data, any business people listening. Uh, but, but a place to store wealth, a place to grow wealth safely has been timber, not just now, but ever since our good Lord created this wonderful planet. Billionaires know about it. Yes. The average investor has not, probably never heard of it. The two largest owners of timber in the U.S. don't happen to be timber men. Oh. Ted, Turner, Ted Turner and John Malone both made their billions in the media business. But they have a huge portfolio position in timber. So you ask yourself, why? Well, first of all, if it produces 14% a year, that's a great place to keep money. Yeah, I, I would say. <laughs> but yeah. If you yeah, but if you have billions, what's the one thing that you might do differently to those that are trying to make a nest egg? You probably don't want to put it into too much risk. Right. Well, the average investor's all in with risk, 60 and 70% of their portfolio in the stock market. If you're a billionaire, you're focusing on loss avoidance asset strategies. There Most is no thousandaires do that. I mean, yeah, look, I, yeah. you know, <laughs> risk avoidance is, is, is prime these days. I, I, I agree with that. Yes. Yes. Go ahead. Well, there's, there's, a, there's a fellow by the name of Jeremy Grantham who, who uh, manages the, um, the uh, GMO fund, um, 
$20 billion fund. And Jeremy's been a long-term advocate of timber, he actually says in a, in a, in a newsletter to the... Uh, to the members of that, uh, um, to the investors in that uh, group, that timber is the only low-risk, high-return asset, and it's the only long-term, um, high-producing asset class. And so, why is it? I mean, I always ask myself when I learned this, why is it that none of my financial planners or CPAs or accountants ever mentioned timber? Partly because they didn't know about it. I mean, that's the reason. I mean, to be honest, they just didn't know. They're told to sell what it is that the institution that they work for wants them to sell. Right. But for those of us that find this asset space, and it's not just timber. You mentioned the coconuts. Coconuts has been a worldwide commodity for how many hundreds of years, but more recently, over the past 20 years, it's become a phenomenal commodity because it's no longer just in the things that you and I might remember as a kid. Grandma used to make coconut macaroons, or you put some suntan lotion on you and you had the smell of coconut. Mm -hmm. Today, the little lowly coconut from all of the islands is in thousands of different products across hundreds of uncorrelated industries, and I'll give you just a few to name a few, cosmetics, to biofuels, <laughs> to food products, to gardening products, to pet food, I could go on and on and on. And so here we have another commodity that we came upon, we came upon it by my daughter, my daughter was 14, four or five years ago, saying, Dad, I want to try coconut oil on my skin, I've got this acne starting, and my friend says coconut oil is work. Is going to work, of course, Dad's little old-fashioned, Dad says that's not going to work, that's, you know, hocus pocus, <laughs> Sure. but it worked, and before you know it, my wife's buying coconut milk and coconut water and coconut cream and coconut this and coconut the other. I, I'm a businessman. I always say to myself, if I see things in my house more than twice a day being used, somebody's making money somewhere. And so I searched all of Central America to find a coconut expert. I found the only certified coconut seed pollinator in all of Central America. He happened to be Nicaraguan on the other side of the country. We've planted 2,000 acres, almost 200,000 coconut trees the last couple of years. We're well into the coconut business now. And what I like most, listen, I love timber. I love timber because it's safe. It doesn't jive up and jive down and zig and zag like the market does. When when the stock market's going up or down, a tree doesn't care. A tree grows at 6 to 8% every year on the stump. It just does that in good days, bad days, political days, you know, worldwide uh, crazy war days. It just keeps growing. Mm -hmm. you, you, plant, you plant a sapling... Mother Nature's biology through osmosis grows that tree into a sapling into a log. If you buy an ounce of gold, what do you have at the end of the day? You have an ounce of gold. If it doesn't go up in value, I remember Warren Buffett on one of the interviews I watched him say, one of the hardest ways to make a profit is to buy something at one price and then hope that you can sell it for a higher price so you can make a profit. 
<laughs> yeah. It's a lousy way. To, it's a lousy way to invest because <laughs> you don't always make a profit. Because some things, sometimes things go down. <laughs> That's true, as we've seen. Yeah, but, but yeah. guess what coconut trees do? They make coconuts. Uh, yeah, so I've, that's so all I've they know. learned. Yeah, that's all they know. And so from a uh, from an income perspective, and that's the difference between the two asset spaces that we work with and our, and our clients. And when I say our clients, well, we work with accredited investors, Doug. Investors okay. that have, you know, a, a portfolio and they're trying to diversify and they're trying to keep their money safe. They're trying to make sure that their money's growing consistently. It's not a space for everyone, um, but timber is a, is a space that produces high ROIs. You can't get to the money quickly, so you have to be a long-term investor. You can't say, hey, I want to plant a tree today, but I want to sell it next month. So you have to understand that long-term profits are far more valuable than short-term profits. I think Correct. most people I think most people understand yep. that. But then on the other side of the portfolio, for those of us that need income, I call the coconut tree the agricultural annuity. Tree yeah, it, to ex explain that. I mean, because of that, right? I mean, the because it keeps. It, well, I'll let you explain that. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. By year four, the tree starts to produce coconut, so a new baby sapling is planted. It's about two feet tall. By year four, it starts to produce coconuts, and then she produces every single year for the next 50 to 60 years. More productive than most people I know. So, yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and at the rate coconuts are being, you know, I mean, there's something that I'm waiting for the uh, for the results to come in on because I think if this also occurs, and I'm always a little skeptical when it comes to the health food uh, arena, but there's a lot of medical scientific data and studies currently underway with coconuts and with the oil of coconuts because the medium chain triglyceride in the oil has already had in several instances just go online go to ted talks go to a lot of other places and and type in dementia parkinson's alzheimer's and then follow those uh, words with the word coconut and you'll be flabbergasted at how many doctors and others are using coconut oil to treat now there's no scientific data yet but let me tell you if my doctor was giving it to me and administering it to me and there was a benefit I wouldn't care about the uh, the scientific data as sure. long as it worked yeah. but if but if the medical arena add their demands onto the coconut much like the water industry recently or the cosmetic industry a while back or biofuel I mean Virgin Airlines has flown jumbo jets from London to Amsterdam on coconut biofuel um, what what else is going to happen to the value of a coconut? They've already gone from an average of 10 to 15 cents farm, farm gate prices per coconut to twice that, 30 cents a coconut. And when a tree's pumping off 100 or 150 coconuts a year for 60 years, am I going to go buy an annuity that I only have until I pass away? Or am I going to have this annuity that I give to my kids after I pass away? There you go. 
There you go. And I just want to remind people, too, because before you came on, we were talking um, about the economic state of the union, state of the planet, state of the world, economic, and it's not good. I mean, we, we hear bad news all of the time. And, of course, you know, the average show out there, whether it's a show like this or perhaps another show, well, diversify gold, silver, you know, uh, assets, precious metals, assets. You know, I understand that, okay, because uh, diversification is, is is one thing. But but here, folks, we have Alex Wilson of Precious Timber saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold the phone here. Because there's something entirely different than perhaps any, any other show has has offered um, to, to their listeners uh, a way to diversify through timber, but it's different. It's, it's even more than it's better than that because precious timber. Alex Wilson uh, is is has made a meaningful difference in the lives of the local people in Nicaragua. The uh, helped start schools. I mean, you talk about missionary work. To me. This is, call it what you will. To me, this is true missionary work rather than taking, you know, um, the food. And I'm not disparaging people to do this. Uh, you know, building a hut or two or three or whatever, um, you know, once a year, you're giving back to the, uh, the, the environment. You're giving back to the planet. You're giving back to the community all the time. Plus, you're offering the people who would so, so choose to diversify their own portfolio a chance to do it via timber and Believe it or not, coconuts. It's the gift that keeps on giving, so to speak. Um, anyway, did, did well, I kind right. of capture you, the essence you, of that? Yeah, you no, have. No. You're right. And actually, it brought me to something, and I thank you for that because you're 100% right. Uh, there's, there's a phrase, there's a, there's a label for this kind of um, activity today. It's called impact investing. Years ago, they used to be socially responsible investing, still there. Uh, then, uh, of course, before that, there was... Um, venture philanthropy but today basically impact investing it's not socially responsible investing which basically is a form of capital deployment where a financial return may be expected in return for the you know the social or environmental values that you're doing and it's certainly not um, venture philanthropy where it's a pursuit of charitable purposes solely, which both of are admirable, but impact investing is completely different. Impact investing offers a blended value, and that blended value, Doug, is the fact that whilst you're making very attractive returns on investment, you are simultaneously making meaningful, impactful um, approaches and, and 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 benefits to both social and environmental necessities. So, for example, what we do, and our, our clients are involved with this. Our clients are private owners. They are people that understand. They've set, spent time. They've spent time with me on the phone. They've spent time reading our white papers. They've spent time online doing their research. And I, 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 I really recommend people do that. First of all, first of all, learn about the country. Get in there and dig deep. I mean, you may remember the seventies and eighties. That's a long time ago. How about learning what's happening today? What's today's Nicaragua like? And find out about that and do those studies. I can help people 
find the locations to do their own due diligence and get that knowledge. And then once that's understood, then learn about this space, because this space is really remarkable for wealth creation, for wealth preservation, and of course, coconuts for nice, long-term, double-digit income. And so you're talking about impact investing, and to you and I, and to our clients, a tree is a wonderful place to store, protect, and grow our financial portfolio. But to Jose, to Hugo, to Salvador, these are the people that care for our trees, make sure the trees grow properly straight, have great volume, good density. Our goal is the financial return. Their reward is a long-term job and a lifeline to a better quality and standard of living. We can do that together. Wow, indeed. You know, um, the old saying, money doesn't grow on trees, but certainly in this Doesn't case... Doesn't in the timber business. <laughs> there you go. You, you know, and, and folks, what really struck me about about uh, about this was, uh, I, I guess impact invest, in, investing is sums it up nicely. The investments are made, you know, by companies, organizations, with the intent to generate social and environmental impact alongside of a financial return. There's the symbiotic relationship, and today, you know, we don't we don't see that. But but here's a guy, Alex Wilson, PreciousTimber.com, who has really made a difference in the lives of many people in a country that has been, you know, war torn back in the seventies. Uh, late uh, through the late seventies, now has made this dramatic uh, change. You've got all of these opportunities, and we get emails all the time. People saying, I- "I'm looking for a place. Uh, I'm looking for um, a, 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 a place, perhaps even retirement." And, and I know that's not the issue here, but but the, the land down there. And I know you did a, um, a radio show. Um, I can't remember the name of it here. Not too long ago, Ray. Uh, uh, there you go. Thank you. I, I happen to see that, um, and, and there was some discussion about that. But, but all of this combined, the impact that you made, the schools that you helped build, the the furniture that, that you helped, or the libraries that you helped to build and supply. The, you know, I mean, this is a win-win-win-win situation. And uh, you know, people have asked us, "Well, give us options. Give us options, folks. Here's an option. You've got to search out precious timber. You got to check this out because." Well, again, this is an option, and uh, you're not talking about uh, a short-term fix or something that you know. Yeah, you know, you're just going to sit and watch and and, and kind of like you know waiting for paint to dry. Uh, you know, wondering if it's going to go up in price, uh, gold or silver. This is an option that uh, has a lot of benefit to it. A lot of benefit. But, yeah, uh, and I'm a, and I'm a, and I'm an advocate for gold and silver. I think there's a place in that for your portfolio, but I think it's more of a an insurance policy or maybe a bet. Because one one of the things that I've mentioned is a, 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 a gold coin could never turn into a gold bar, or an ounce of gold can never turn into a gold bar. It can only be what it is. And 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 yes, it's nice to have some. I have some too, uh, for safety reasons. But if you really want loss avoidance and you really want to have biology grow your money for you biology grows money i mean a lot of people don't understand that but it absolutely in fact i now in my late 50s much prefer mother nature over wall street i really do 
Um, Amen. But obviously, <laughs> but obviously, you know, with respect to gold, it's a, it's a, it's a good asset to have. And if you have gold in your portfolio, then really you should also take a serious consideration and look at both timber, coconuts, and maybe other agricultural products. In fact, let's do this. I'd like to invite any one of your listeners to come down to visit us. In fact, in November, just uh, almost a month away, on uh, the 12th and 13th of, of November, I'm holding a discovery tour. And it's exactly that. It's a discovery tour. It's not a sales tour. It's a discover Nicaragua tour, a discover timber tour, a discover coconut tour. Meet the people. Shake their hands. Look in their eyes. Look at how we protect the environment and build new wildlife corridors. Because, yeah, it's nice making a little money. But it's even nicer when you're making some money and making an impact. And I invite anyone to call. The number's toll-free. It's 855-888-6288. I'll say that again. 855-888-6288. Ask for myself, Alex Wilson. I'll be happy to chat with you. And go online, watch our videos. Uh, great people, great country, great asset space, and not a bad radio show. <laughs> Indeed. Well, God bless you, my friend. I, and we 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 actually reached the end of the program. Uh, I I have learned so much by by looking through your your website, researching your company. You know, it just. I just want to say thank you for everything you've done. And I know maybe you didn't set out to do uh, much of what you've done, but the positive impact you've made and uh, the offerings that you're giving to all of our listeners and us as well. Thank you so much, my brother. We're going to be hearing... You know, we're going to be hearing more about Precious Timber. I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to be... Folks, you're going to be hearing more about them because they are moving. I mean, they're moving and shaking. Oh, thank you, Mr. Wilson. We're going to get these Hagman, uh, uh, this Hagman team down to Nicaragua one day. Thanks so much, Doug. God bless you, my friend. Thank you so much, folks. Thank you so much, sir. Folks, that'll do it for us tonight. Wow. A way to end on a positive upscale note, huh? Man. Uh, Absolutely. Precious Timber and, and. Very interesting. This man has, this company has done a lot. Check them out. PreciousTimber.com. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. We've got Debbie. Agenda 20, 2030 to talk about. Yep. All right. Till then, stay safe. God bless. Have a great night.